This week on the Tech Night Out Live, we hear from Kirk McElhern, who's now the iTunes guy at Macworld, Daniel Arendilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine, talking about Intel, AMD, also Android and all the other good stuff, and Rob Pecorero from usatoday.com and other important publications. He'll talk about Apple's iBook 2 revolutionizing the textbook industry and about the stop online piracy act and more on the tech night out live so kirk McElhern is speaking to us from his palatial estate in the french alps and he's cold because the heating doesn't work and he's wearing an overcoat and he's wearing boots and gloves kind of hard to deal with his computer and type when he has those thick gloves well it's not that the heating doesn't work it's that i moved to a new house and i'm having trouble getting it adjusted since the area i live in is still in the mountains and it's still very cold. I mean, as we're recording this now, it's morning for you and evening for me, early evening for me. Um, the sun has sort of gone down behind the mountains and it's below freezing outside. Um, so I haven't yet gotten the temperature in here correct. And yes, with gloves, it's kind of hard to type. I need to get some like big keyboard where the keys are like twice the size of normal so my glove-tipped fingers can type them without hitting four keys every time. Hmm, you know what? Let's call Edgar Matthias at Matthias and talk about the Tactile Pro. Now, he's got the normal one, which is really great. That's the one with the old-fashioned Alps key switches that are very robust. And maybe he'll make one with keys that are twice as thick. How about that? <laughs> Well, I, I'm hoping I won't need something like this for very long. Okay. I'm hoping this situation will be resolved in a couple of days. Before we get to the main discussion, which will be about iTunes, these rumors are afoot now, starting in, what, Fortune magazine and elsewhere, based on a new book about Apple, unofficial book about Apple's business, saying that Vice President Scott Forstall is eyeing the CEO spot, that he's a mini Steve Jobs in the waiting. Have you heard this kind of rumor? You know, there's rumors that I do that we, we talk about when it's before like an Apple event or a Macworld Expo or something, rumors about new devices and things like that. And, and I pay attention to some of them, but I totally ignore any r rumors about internal politics in any of these companies because on the one hand, they don't really affect me. And on the other hand, I don't know anyone well-placed in any of these companies to get this kind of information. Could it be the case? Who knows? I mean, Tim Cook has been there for a very long time. Scott's kind of young. Tim has been, you know, since he was there before Steve Jobs came back, if I'm correct, right? So he's no, he seen was the, brought on board after Steve Jobs had returned. Okay, but he's been there for a long time, for more than a dozen years. I don't know how long Scott's been there. Scott is younger. I think he's a tech guy, whereas Tim Cook is more of a logistics sort of back-end guy. Who knows what's going to happen? Unless it's someone of the charisma of Steve Jobs, it won't make a huge difference to us. And I don't think we'll ever see another person with the charisma of Steve Jobs in our lifetimes. You know, it's also this, you know, if there's corporate politics to an extreme nature, that's going to cause problems in management and efficiency. If, 
he quietly wishes he'd become CEO someday, well, fine. Maybe someday he'll blossom into a CEO. And when Tim Cook goes elsewhere or retires or whatever, maybe he will be a candidate. Or maybe he'll move on to another company where he might be a fitting CEO. Who knows? Sure. You never know, and I'm not going to predict what happens at Apple. Because as many stories that you can tell about them that are true, there are 10 times as many that you could tell that aren't so true. And even if you do know people in high positions in Apple, they may tell you things that they want people to hear that may not be true as well. I mean, so this sort of politics, it's no different than politics politics, in my opinion. It's just on a slightly smaller scale. Although, um, I guess Apple's economy is larger than a number of uh, the small European countries, probably. So it is a pretty big scale, no matter and what. right now, the way some of these European countries are going, and I won't mention France, although it was downgraded like a lot of the other countries, the way they're going, Apple will be substantially better <laughs> than many of those countries. Well, it certainly looks that way. I mean, the French downgrade is a lot of news here, but it's only one of the ratings agencies that downgraded them. The other one maintained them at a AAA. Um, but there were downgrades of you know other European countries as well. And anyway, this is outside of my scope of knowledge. You know, I, I know things about pressing little buttons on keyboards and making computers do things. Okay, let's um, do something right now. Let's do something with iTunes. Now, you have the FAQ, the fact. Take I control of iTunes, the FAQ, second edition. Second okay, edition. so in Very the second important. edition, what did you have? Why an FAQ? Why do we need one? Well, the first thing is, why do we need a book like this? It, you remember, we've, we've talked in the past about the early days of iTunes, how it came from SoundJam and all that. And it was a pretty simple program. You dumped some MP3s in it and you played them back. You burned them to a CD or you ripped CDs. iTunes has become an extremely complex program. It does music and videos and podcasts and books and it syncs to iPods and iPhones and iPads. It's got smart playlists and dumb playlists and genius and iTunes match and all this sort of stuff. I like to say that iTunes is a complex program, but it's not really that complicated. Once you learn how to do what you want to do, it's pretty simple. There's a few steps to do something, but once you've done it once, you can generally do it pretty well. The problem is finding out how to do what you want to do and in some cases realizing what you want to do. Understanding the capabilities of the program. You want to organize your music in a certain way. You want to view it in a certain way. You may not take the time to delve into the program to try and figure it out on your own. And a book like mine is pretty much a guided tour, a walkthrough of iTunes from the beginning when you add music either by ripping CDs or adding your own files to how to work with them, sync them, use iTunes Match and, and the whole thing from beginning to end. Well, I think some of the issues I think that are occurring are with iTunes Match. It's got some bugs. I mean, the one that's obvious is when you have a song that you've just ripped from a CD from an album that's already available at iTunes, but it doesn't match it. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that there are a number of very specific cases that people have nailed down where they won't get matches for certain songs on albums. Another problem that I've highlighted on my blog is certain tracks that are matched, that when you download the matched tracks, they have errors in them. I found one that had a dropout of about a half a second, and my son found one the other day that had clicks all through it, as well as a nasty dropout that was about a half a second as well. And then there are tracks that match that aren't on the iTunes store, and I find that very perplexing. I've noticed it for some albums that I have that iTunes doesn't sell, but that still match. So I, I wish I had an answer for why iTunes Match does the things that it does. The best I have is some evidence that it's weird. Beyond that, I don't know. It's pretty opaque what's going on. 
And we've got to stop being opaque in this world. We've got to stop being opaque. Does that mean that you have to go to a commercial? No. <laughs> okay. I just did that to drive you crazy. <laughs> no, I, I think we need to simplify things. I think uh, Apple would have done well to make a lot of these things clearer. Um, the, the, the question, and again, we discussed it before. She came in through the bathroom window from the Beatles Abbey Road doesn't match for most people. For me, it did, and I think it's because I have the latest remasters. For other people, it didn't. Um, why is this happening? Apple should be saying to us, okay, if, if this happens, the song doesn't match, there's a reason. And they haven't said anything. Of course, typical Apple communication is to say nothing, but it makes people very confused as to how this whole process is working. I think that's also the entire process with iCloud. iCloud has problems, and sometimes just explaining what iCloud is to people can present a problem. And I had the situation where I was fixing up a colleague's Mac Mini. Buys a new Mac Mini. He had the first-generation model in 2005. So after six years, it's time. So I set it up. At first, of course, it asks for his Apple ID. Now, maybe he had an Apple ID way back when, but he doesn't use iTunes. So he doesn't remember what that ID might be or whether he used four or five IDs over the years. So, of mm. course, what do you do? Let's set up a new ID with his current email address. So we right. started there. But that could be a problem because maybe he has content that he didn't really check out. Maybe he does have something in iTunes with a different Apple ID, which therefore, if he logs in with one ID, he cannot play the content with another ID. It's very confusing. And to be yeah. more confused, we... Have there Kirk McElhern to settle things for us on the Tech Night Out Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Making the right decisions is a challenge to investors. Are we going to see economic growth, slide into a recession, or at worst, depression? Hi, Ted Anderson from Midas Resources. We all know when a company acts irresponsibly, divesting ourselves in a move towards safety is prudent. When the market becomes volatile, U.S. Treasuries are a safe haven. But what do you do when the U.S. government overextends itself and spends beyond its means? Many investors are turning toward gold as a common-sense alternative to traditional paper investments. Midas Resources has put together a powerful book titled 10 Reasons to Own Gold, discussing costs, benefits, risks, featuring full-color illustrations, weights, and measures. The book is free and can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. Paper investments are dwarfed by gold's 6,000-year history. Discover how gold may be right for you and your IRA by calling 800-686-2237. Whether buying or it's time for you to sell, the book is free. Call 800-686-2237.
Take charge of your health. Get all natural, innovative health products from the new AffinityHealthProducts.com. From weight loss to cold and flu remedies to better joint function, discover natural products you can trust online at AffinityHealthProducts.com. Like losing snooze. Fact is, 90% of all diets fail. Why not try a completely new way of dieting? With losing snooze, you can achieve weight loss while you sleep. Guaranteed. Reduce caloric intake, get a deep restorative sleep, build lean muscle mass, and keep your metabolic rate up to burn fat throughout the night and day with all-natural lose and snooze from AffinityHealthProducts.com. Include the one-day diet for a complete weight loss package. Order lose and snooze and the one-day diet and other all-natural products for men and women online at AffinityHealthProducts.com. Spelled A-F-F-I-N-I-T-Y HealthProducts.com. Or call 877-888-7126. That's 877-888-7126. What if pain could be reduced? Ailments could be alleviated. Physical and mental stress could be eased. And blood circulation increased. All by simply lying down? Introducing the original Biomat. The Biomat is an FDA-registered medical device that combines deep, penetrating infrared space-age technology and revitalizing negative ions with the incredible healing power of amethyst crystals. A Biomat can boost your immune system, relieve pain and stiffness, reduce stress and fatigue, and assist in detoxifying your body. Join the thousands of people reporting relief from chronic pain, fibromyalgia, arthritis, sports injuries, insomnia, and much more. Each Biomat comes with a lifetime trade-in and and three-year warranty. Learn more at bio-mats.com, spelled B-I-O-M-A-T-S.com, or call 360-944-8692. That's 360-944-8692. Visit bio-mats.com today and enhance your life with a Biomat. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com. Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com. Kirk McElhern joins us. He has a new Take Control book, iTunes, the FAQ. And we're going to answer all the questions that we can think of about iTunes and also, I guess, to some degree about iCloud because it is so intertwined with iTunes. So the situation here, multiple Apple IDs. Maybe you forgot the one you had six years ago. And Apple has no solution. Well, one thing that you can do is... Okay, I'm going to give you a quick process here to, to find if you have music or videos or any kind of content in your iTunes library. You can look at it and you can see what account it's registered to. Okay, so you go into iTunes, you choose File, New Smart Playlist. Then you're going to make a rule. You're going to choose Purchased from the first menu and you're going to choose Is True from the second. This is going to make a list of every single track that you have purchased from the iTunes store. Now, some of this may be music, some of this may be videos, uh, depending on whether you've bought uh, movies or music videos or whatever. And if you find anything in that list that you can't play, so let's say you double-click on something and iTunes asks you to um, authenticate. If you press then Command-I on the Summary tab, you'll see Account Name and you'll see the Apple ID that was used to purchase it. Okay. So this tends to be complicated. Maybe you should explain that again very quickly. Do you want me to explain it again quickly? 
You need Explain to explain again. this Quit. again because people are going to be writing this down and being totally okay. confused over what's okay. going on. So I'll just walk through the process quickly again. You choose File, New Smart Playlist. In this window, you choose a rule. From the first menu, you choose Purchased. From the second, you choose Is True. So your rule is going to be Purchased Is True. You click on OK and you're going to get a playlist which contains everything that you purchased from the iTunes store, which in my case is 3,865 items. Um, which is actually quite a lot. And if you want to find the Apple ID that was used for any of these, click on one item, press Command-I, click on the Summary tab if it doesn't display, and look at the account name, and you'll see the Apple ID. Now, if you've lost the password for that Apple ID, Apple has a page, and I don't remember exactly what it is. Um, I forgot my Apple ID. If you Google that, you'll find it. You can enter the uh, your Apple ID name, and they'll help you set up a new password for it. Okay. Now, the thing here is it's nice to know that you have purchases you made with different Apple IDs. But what is the problem with Apple not figuring a way to coordinate this? Because that's where we run into a problem, where you have multiple Apple IDs, and now you have iCloud, and maybe it's set up in one Apple ID, but then you had a mobile me account in another ID, and it's enough to make you want to hit your head against the wall. Yeah, a- Apple does not let you merge Apple IDs, and this is a problem. You can Let's say if you have two Apple IDs, you can keep one and use it for iCloud and another one for iTunes purchases, for instance. But you can't merge them together. And this is something that would really make a lot of sense because, as you said, you know, people may have set up accounts at different times and used them for different things, and they're really stuck. So what you need to do is if you have three accounts, you've got to keep three accounts. There's no choice. Ideally, you should move over to one now and not do anything else with previous ones. You shouldn't keep buying on one and buying on another and using them both because then you're going to have to keep logging in for one and then logging in for another. Say when you, let's say you bought some apps for your iPhone with one Apple ID and you bought some other apps with another one. When you, get, when you want to download updates, you've got to log in with each Apple ID to get the, the different updates. So it's a real pain in the tuchus. And there was a quote from Tim Cook writing to an Apple user in Europe what, last summer, where he said, they're working on a solution. I gather a solution like this is going to be complicated. One, of course, is to authenticate each account to know that these are your accounts. Yeah, you have to somehow prove that these are your accounts because you could be saying, well, my Apple ID is joe at apple.com and my other Apple ID is lisa at apple.com, but it could be your ex-girlfriends or your neighbors or, or someone in your dorm whose Apple ID you're just stealing. Right. So they have to determine that, determine also that you have the right. And I guess the way that would authenticate that would be provide the information on your credit card. What credit card did you use? Give us the credit card number. They don't ask for the last four of your social, though. If I recall, when you set up an Apple ID, you do have to answer some sort of secret questions, don't you? Yes, you do. You have to have some kind of question where if you lose your password, you have to answer the question, what was the name of your dog? What was your mom's maiden name? Something like that. Or the first school you went to or the first street you lived on. There were questions like that, I remember. Right, exactly. So there are ways that you can prove that you're you. All right. Now, 
Te- technically, it's possible, but the question is, how can you prove that you just haven't gotten that information from someone else and you're hijacking their account? That's what the real problem comes down to. I guess that's where Apple might be concerned over the security concerns. But then what do you do? Except, of course, just take a best effort at verifying, pointing out that if we do this, you take responsibility if we make a mistake. Right. But then what if the person who the second Apple ID belongs to comes and says, I can't access mine anymore. And Apple says, well, we just merged it with another Apple ID. I think that's the whole risk. I understand. There still has to be a way to figure it out. I agree. But I agree. again, my, my, best my effort has to be it. You know, If it my, reaches my a point is- where Apple says, okay, we made a mistake, then Apple has to make, quote, a best effort to fix it. Right. But remember that once you get someone's Apple ID and password, you can buy a whole lot of stuff from the iTunes store with it. So it's not just a question of accessing your files, but it's also accessing the credit card information that the iTunes store has on record. But the same is true even if you have one Apple ID and you want to verify it. If you succeed in verifying it, well, that's it. True, true. Uh, I think it's a can of worms, and I think they realize that this is the case. As you said, maybe they'll come up with a solution, but for now, you can't merge them. So what you should really do is if you have multiple Apple IDs, stop using all but the one that you really need to use. I think it's a matter of just sitting back, taking stock, and writing down all the Apple IDs or entering on the keyboard, whatever, and figuring out what you use them for. If you can. If you can. I mean, if you've bought different songs and different purposes, well, the songs are no longer – they no longer have – digital rights management to them, so you should theoretically be able to copy from one to the other, right? Well, that's not true. If you bought music before Apple dropped DRM, and if you either don't have an iTunes Match subscription, which would let you convert, in quotes, that music to non-DRM music. Obviously, that forces you to get iTunes Match. Right, or that music is no longer available from the iTunes store, which is the case for some of the albums that I bought back in the day. Then there's no way that you can get that music to play without signing in with the correct Apple ID and password. Sure. I mean, I have albums that I am not able to, that don't match, that won't upgrade because they're not sold anymore. We have Kirk McElhern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. When it comes to running a successful business, there are many things you have to get right. But one thing is often overlooked, and that's protecting the data that powers your business. Computers, servers, external hard drives, and even tape backups are vulnerable to failure. In the U.S. alone, over 140,000 hard drives fail each and every week. According to one study, only 7% of companies that lose their data centers for 10 days or more survive beyond the year. So I want to tell you about our friends at Mosey, the 
most trusted name in online backup. Give our friends at Mosey a call. They've been doing this for a long time and run the most secure, most trusted online backup service. Right now, you could save 15% by using the promo code PODCAST15. That's PODCAST15. Call 877-669-9776. That's 877-669-9776. Or visit MoseyPro.com. That's M-O-Z-Y Pro.com. Long Range Patrol Ration Entrees. If you know survival, you know LRPs are the undisputed king of military rations. Hands down the best for your bug out bag or survival pack. To go farther, faster, and carry more food, there's nothing better than a Brick Pack LRP Cold Weather Ration Entree. Nothing. Now, the freeze-dry guy is offering a limited-time deal on thousands of fresh LRP entrees. We're talking a menu of tasty and nutritious beef stew, chicken and rice, chili mac with beef, spaghetti and meat sauce with 20 entrees per case. These fresh 2011 LRPs are U.S. government contract overruns, perfect for long-term storage. But they're going fast at freezedryguy.com. Far superior to MREs, long-range patrol entrees are about a third the weight of an MRE, with about a third more meat than the finest commercial freeze-dried entrees. Ask about multi-case discounts and free shipping when you call 866-404-3663 today. That's 866-404-3663 or freezedryguy.com. Your source for survival food in an uncertain world. (laughs) Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes, revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporian e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service fast free same day shipping and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lesig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lesig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker Introducing a Diabetes Breakthrough, an easy, natural, organic way to bring relief to diabetics. Introducing MDS Forte, a concentrated super strength extract formulated for those who are looking for relief. What can MDS Forte do for you? MDS Forte reduces glucose levels safely and effectively, reduces cholesterol and triglyceride levels, increases HDL or good cholesterol while reducing LDL or bad cholesterol. MDS Forte reduces A1C, improves eyesight and circulation to the limbs, and helps with weight loss. Is non-toxic, caffeine-free, 100% natural, 100% organic, and comes with a 100% money back guarantee waiting for the side effects disclaimers with mds forte there are none order a 25-day treatment of mds forte by calling 213-405-5355 213-405-5355 or visit bestbloodsupport.com that's bestbloodsupport.com for mds forte a diabetes breakthrough You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We're sorting out iTunes for you. And what's happened here, as we learn in talking with Kirk McElhern, is that in 
growing and encompassing more types of digital content purchasing. It has become rather ungainly. I wonder when Jeffrey Robin was writing Sound Jam back in the old days in the 1990s, whether he had that particular <laughs> vision in mind. I don't think at the time, you know, remember how big hard disks were at the time. We didn't conceive that we were going to have as much music as we have, that we would have players that would store as much. We didn't conceive a video. You remember the earliest QuickTime videos that were the size of postage stamps? We didn't conceive of HD video and downloading, say, movies that are three or four gigabytes from the iTunes store. We didn't imagine all of the types of content that the iPod was going to handle, music videos, books, iTunes U, podcasts, etc. So back in the day, they were looking at music and nothing else. And if you look at the history of iTunes, you can see how it slowly incremented to add different kinds of content as this content was available. Again, there was a time when just videos just didn't work any bigger than postage stamps. We, we didn't have the processors and the video cards um, that were able to manage them. But do you think Apple's taking proper advantage of all that? I think so. We did a show last year sometime talking about whether iTunes is bloated, and it's a common complaint of people. And, and my re response is generally, you use the features you need, you can ignore the rest. It's not something that gets in your way. Um, you can even hide you know, on the... On the on the source list, the, the blue sidebar in iTunes, you have music and movies and TV shows and all that. You can hide the ones you don't want. They're not, you're not going to see them if you remove them in the preferences. Um, so you can get rid of everything. Again, as I said earlier, it's a complex program. It's not so much complicated as complex. It does a lot. Whether it should keep doing as much, that's certainly a valid discussion. It makes sense to me to have music and video, books, you can't read them in iTunes, and they're just, it's just a repository for them. Although that may change with Apple's um, media event of this week, uh, where they're going to be talking about ebooks. Uh, the, the syncing stuff, why would you want to use a separate application to sync when most of the content is going through iTunes? I mean, you can come up with solutions that would suit you. You can, uh, you can cut up iTunes into five different programs, one for music, one for video, one for syncing, one for apps, and whatever. But I don't think that's a solution. I think all it means is that you'd be launching five programs instead of one. And five programs just makes it more complicated. Exactly. It makes more sense to me that one program adopts the exact same techniques for working with all these types of content than having five programs, which would certainly look the same and use the same techniques, but require you, in some cases, to do the same thing five times. Well, you know, the other thing to consider also is iCloud. Now, is iCloud the solution, the proper solution to the dilemma posed by .Mac and MobileMe? Um, I'm pretty disappointed in iCloud, and I'll give one example. Um, I have iCloud set to sync my bookmarks. My main Mac is my desktop Mac, a Mac Mini. I also use a MacBook Air and an iPad and an iPod Touch. Uh, my bookmarks don't sync, period, to any of these devices. I've tried turning off syncing, turning it back on. It just doesn't sync. Don't know what to do. Um, in, in the past, there were glitches with... Um, dot mac but things did sync and here i can't i don't know how to reset anything um it's just it's 
just totally confusing. Another thing that was really practical in .Mac was you could sync your keychains from one Mac to another, and you can't do that anymore. So that's something I have to do manually because if I enter a password on a keychain on my desktop Mac, I'd like to have it on my laptop. Um, iCloud doesn't handle that. I assume because they don't want to be handling secure information, but you know, how is that different from what .Mac did? Um, I also missed the iDisk. The iDisk was a great way to put files on it for people to, to share with people, um, files too big to send by email, and, and for people who really weren't sophisticated enough to use FTP and all that. Um, so I, I kind of miss .Mac, quite honestly. Uh, for me, iCloud is not a solution. Well, of course, we have to think here that with a lot of things that Apple does, when they start a new architecture, they take out features until they're fully developed and then add them back in. So some of the things that maybe aren't working so well in iCloud, you have to hope will come back. Well, that's what I'm hoping. And, and I, I remember, I think I posted an article on my blog just saying, you know, why I miss keychain syncing. I got a lot of comments from people who agreed that it seems that this is something that a lot of people relied on. Now, you can use alternate programs such as 1Password, which I do use, but using the keychain in addition to 1Password makes a lot of sense. Um, using 1Password on its own makes certain things more complicated. I mean, you still need the keychain for your passwords and your email accounts, for instance. Um, 1Password works to store passwords, and it works with web browsers, but it doesn't work with programs like FTP programs or file sharing or email or iChat or anything like that. The other thing, of course, that Apple really screwed up on is if you have a MobileMe account and you set up your iCloud with a different account, with iCloud, you get free 5 gigabyte storage. With MobileMe, if you transition to iCloud, you get 40 gigabytes, but you can't merge them. Again, the merging of the Apple IDs. You get 20. You get an extra 20 um, because I had a, a – I got a 40. Mac. Really? I only got 20. Another they thing, I cheated you. Go back and ask for a refund. I got a total of 25, so the five that you get for free with iCloud plus an additional 20, um, which is only good through uh, June 30th, I think, right? At Something which point, like that. So by the time we worry about it, it's too late to consider. Right. But until then, though, all the .Mac stuff is still working. So you can still use your iDisk. The problem is that if you've turned on iCloud – um, on your computer, you can't normal. You can't load your iDisk in a normal manner. So, transitioning to iCloud basically means you can't use .Mac anymore. And even though they've extended the membership, I'm paying basically for nothing. That's what it comes down to. It's as if Apple is going to refund your money. I think you can ask for a refund. Actually, I haven't bothered. Um, but I think there's a, a process you can go through to get a prorated refund. I'm not, well, you I, see, at this point, though, it didn't come to fruition until the fall. Now, my normal anniversary date for Mobile Me was January. So what would I have yeah. gotten three months this way? They extended till exactly. the end of June. Who cares? Right. And so you can still access the iDisk um, via an FTP program like Transmit, for example. Um, if you and need also, to. of course, you know, Apple now has that extra money to use for the stock options they gave Tim Cook. Indeed. And maybe, and maybe even some rumors are saying that they'll be um, paying dividends to shareholders. Well, you see, I'm too ethical to buy Apple stock or maybe I can't afford it. 
Well, I can't afford it either, but I did talk my mom into buying some a, a while back, um, and she held on to it, fortunately. So, oh, so right um, now, of course, your mom is on the boat. The yacht, excuse me. Exactly. And she sends all, all, you, you know, $15 a month just for old time's sake. Exactly. Yep. Seriously speaking, all right. If Apple today is saying, okay, we got iTunes version one out there, it mostly works, got a lot of problems. What does iCloud version two do? What should Apple be thinking of doing to get it to finally work? I don't think they've ever gotten their online services to work fully. They've always had problems. They've always had difficulties, and I don't know why. Um, well, no, that's not fair. Their online service of the iTunes store works very well. Let's be honest. You may have a, a track that, that, that's got a glitch in it. They refund you pretty quickly. Um, but buying things from the iTunes store is pretty much a seamless process. Okay, the purchasing, yes. I'm talking about everything else, like Right, iCloud. everything else is a mess. Granted, okay. um, what, what was the first one called? iTools? iTools, Dot Mac, Mac, Mobile Me, iCloud. Right. Before right. your eyes get gray and white and cloudy. We have Kirk McElhern joining us. He's the iTunes guy at Macworld now. We're on the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231 and the Berkey guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey light, the Berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. 
If you constantly feel run down and tired, your pH level might be low and your body could be full of toxins. If what you drink is not at a pH level of 8 or higher, you are inviting bacteria and acid to thrive in your body. But there is something you can do. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops to your water to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise your pH balance to optimum levels. AlkaVision Plasma pH drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals in the world. Alkalizing the water you drink, ridding your body of acidic waste and toxins, and helping you regain energy and vibrant health. And studies show viruses, bacteria, and toxins cannot survive in an alkaline, high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. That's what it sounds like when a burglar kicks in the door of a dark house that looks like no one is home. Don't let your home be the next target. Make it look like someone is home watching television with fake TV. Fake TV is a small electronic device that makes the same light as a real television. So from outside, it looks like someone is home watching TV. Fake TV plugs in just like a lamp on a timer, but is far more convincing to burglars. Fake TV deters burglars, costs far less than an alarm, and is highly recommended by numerous police departments. Use it anytime you're away from home. To order your fake TV for only $34.95, go to faketv.com. Or call 1-877-5-FAKE-TV. Each additional fake TV is only $29.95. So get one for you and one for a loved one for safety, security, and peace of mind for both of you. Call 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to faketv.com. FAKETV.com, the burglar deterrent. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. Before we go on, you have a new spot. You're the Uber expert, number one expert for iTunes over at Macworld Magazine. Kirk McElhern, tell us more. Yeah, I'm. I'm now have a new nickname, the iTunes guy, and we they have recently, nicknames for me too. But this is family radio; I can't mention them. <laughs> they they recently announced that we're going to be doing a regular column. Well, that I'm going to be doing a regular column to answer questions about iTunes, and it's going to be called "Ask the iTunes Guy." And in this announcement, they published an email address saying, "Send up your questions, and we'll start rounding them up into a regular column." And we have gotten hundreds of questions. We have been overwhelmed by the response that we've gotten. So not only is it going to be a regular column, it's going to be more frequent than we expected. And we're working on a feature article for the magazine. So in the next couple of weeks, this is going to start going live, and. It's really quite interesting to see how many questions people have about iTunes. Some of them are pretty deep questions, and some of them are very simple. But it just shows that different users with different needs are as – I don't want to use the word confused because it's not their fault, but they don't know how to do certain things. And sometimes the answers are actually pretty simple. You know, before Um, we get into some common questions, just a few. All right. Back to iCloud. Okay. You iCloud really wanna, version 2.0. You really, you really what are you want to pour salt it? on the wound about iCloud, don't you? I have to. You know, it just You've doesn't got work the way it should. This. And Apple has had 
one, two, th- four times. You know, they say three times a charm. This is four times. When do they fix it? Did you ever use iTools? Because I didn't. Of course. I didn't. I, I used .Mac. Well, actually, I think I had a free iTools account, but never used it for anything. And then I started with .Mac and MobileMe and all that. And there were always problems, but they did kind of work. My feeling about MobileMe is that if you had problems syncing, at least there was a process to purge everything. You could go into the, the syncing preference pane and you could delete everything on the server and you could re-upload. And this is something that's missing in mobile me. Um, if you turn off, like I've tried for my bookmark problem, if you turn off bookmark syncing and turn it on, it asks if you want to merge bookmarks. But it doesn't give you this option to purge everything and to start over from scratch. I think it's unfortunate that this is something you had to do with mobile me, but at least it usually worked. At least it did for me when I had problems. But with iCloud, you can't do it. There's no going You can't back. do it at all. You have no Nor access. does the act of merging it somehow reset it? Not in my case. I still can't get my bookmarks to sync from one Mac to all my other devices. Well, my they synced, contact they lists synced, are different. They my first. address book on an iPhone and my address book on my iMac are different. Um, I think my address book actually syncs quite well. Um, let's see. If I look on my, well, where is it supposed to show how many? It doesn't even show. Uh, if I had a number of contacts, I'd be able to tell, but I don't even see that. I know that when I checked recently, I found that some things that I'd recently added. Uh, here, I'm looking on my MacBook Air, and some stuff that I know that I recently added on my Mac Mini has been added. Although, here's one that's missing a phone number. So, yeah, so there's still problems here, too. There you go. In my case, it's two different address books. So if I want to refer to something that's on my address book, on my Mac, supposedly they're in sync, and I go to my iPhone, the address information's not there. And yeah. then it says, well, we're going to, if you turn it off or on or try to change it, it's going to delete your address book. Which one? I guess I right. could and- export my address book on my Mac, try to make it reset, then come back and re-import it again. In other words, leave it empty long enough to sync the empty and then import the stuff that you'd exported. That might be a solution. But, you know, so, some people I know were discussing on Twitter recently um, all some of the problems, of course, what they could say in 140 characters, some of the problems inherent with address book and saying that this is a, a, a really an opportunity for a third-party developer to come up with a, a more flexible address book. Um, there aren't that. While there are a couple of calendar programs, um, in particular, I use BusyCal, which I find much better than iCal. Uh, they're real. I don't know of any good contact manager programs. I mean, Entourage, What is it? Outlook now for in Microsoft Office um, is fairly good, but I don't use that for my email. Do you know of any third-party address book replacements? Well, I haven't looked for one. I don't think my address book is that complicated. It's got yeah. maybe 75 or 80 names that I normally have to know about. Well, I have a lot of email addresses. I just looked to have about 300, which still isn't that much. But well, still, no, it's not. I, I think there's a, there could be a market for third-party developers to come up with something that's a little bit more flexible. And I don't know why no one's ever gone there. Maybe for the same reason that you know most people use iCal because it's built in. If they don't, they use... Um, what is it? 
they, they'll use Outlook or they'll use something that interfaces with an exchange server because their business requires it. Uh, maybe no one, maybe they think that no one is going to want to use a different address book um, than what Apple provides since it's free. Well, for the most part, I think people would prefer to use the free option. They have to have different possibilities, like maybe they'll use the one in Outlook, which supposedly integrates with Apple's address book if you choose that option. So maybe right. you get Outlook for the Mac. Okay. You want to use Microsoft's address book, I guess supposedly because it integrates better with a Windows version? Or with an Exchange server in particular if you have, if you have a business that uses that. Okay. But theoretically, though, Apple Mail is compatible with Exchange servers. How well does address book and how well does iCal integrate with servers, like with Exchange server? Yeah, I don't know that. Um, this is not something I work with. Uh, one one other point, though, is that people want to use Apple's address book so it can sync to their iOS devices. Um, so if they have an iPhone or something. Um, so again, you've got you've got a problem of having something that has to sort of integrate into the operating system itself, but also integrate with another operating system that syncs to the operating system. One larger question to ask here. What is there about iTunes in general that people tend to be most confused about? You're well, the today iTunes guy. It, t- today it's certainly iTunes Match. Um, okay. The, the majority of the questions that we've gotten to the Ask the iTunes Guy email address, I'd say more than half of them are about iTunes Match. Um, there are a lot of other questions about playlists, about missing files, about artwork that doesn't stay in, in tracks. Uh, people get, get – I wouldn't say people get confused, but a lot of people don't understand how smart playlists work. Um, this is it's something not I smart enough for them. It's too smart for them because, see, for smart playlists to work correctly, you have to tag your music perfectly. In other words, you have to have the right artist name and genre and album name and all that. If you're not going to go to the trouble to make sure all the tags for your music are correct, then you're not going to get good smart playlists. And of course, that requires work on the part of the customer. Supposedly, Apple's supposed to figure this out behind the scenes. They shouldn't require the customers to do anything more than import your songs, buy your songs, just do the very few basics of handling your music library. Well, this generally works if you buy everything from iTunes or even maybe from Amazon where the tagging is good. But if you, if you import CDs, if you rip CDs, um, you'll find that if they're obscure CDs, the actual tag information that iTunes downloads may not be correct. There may be spelling errors or that album name might not be correct or the genre might be something you know, that doesn't make sense. So you do have to change these things manually. And this is something that I, I point out in my book that, first of all, it's very easy to change the tags. Um, Select a bunch of files, press Command-I, and start typing. But it's also very important in order to either find music, so if you're searching for a specific song, you've got to have the, the name spelled correctly, or to create smart playlists. And tagging, in fact, is the sort of foundation of organizing a media library in iTunes. If your tags are right, you can do all sorts of things. You can sort, you can search, and you can make playlists. If your tags are wrong, heaven help you. Well, yeah. Unfortunately, um, you're at the mercy of – you know, some people – I have a friend. He has one playlist. It's play every song, 
right? Well, it makes it easy, but I'll tell you what. We'll find more of that information in your new Macworld section. Tell our listeners where they can find more stuff from Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy. Well, you can go to my website, McElhern.com, and there's going to be a link on the show page, I assume. You can buy my Take Control of iTunes, the FAQ Second Edition, or you can visit Macworld where the Ask the iTunes Guy column is going to start appearing soon. I don't have a precise date. Um, I do write a couple of columns about iTunes and iPods and digital music every month, and the Ask the iTunes columns are going to be in addition to that. So it's now Kirk, the iTunes Guy, McElhern. Thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thanks for having me again, Gene. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider went to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas last week. Before we get started, was this your first time at CES? It was. It was my first time there in, in large part because CES was usually held at the same time as Macworld. And Macworld is a few blocks away, <laughs> so... So it's hard to hard to get past that easy barrier and go all the way to Las Vegas. Okay, so this was a Mac user let loose at the Consumer Electronics Show. So what did you expect, and were there any surprises? Well, it's kind of surprising just the scale of, of CES. It's enormous. If you've been to Macworld, it's kind of like all of Macworld times six times five different buildings. I mean, it just, it just keeps going on and on and on. And, um, yeah, so, so just beyond the general scope, uh, there is kind of, um, doesn't that make it much more difficult to really get to see all the significant stuff or is that not a problem? Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like being in the Louvre and you're walking around trying to see, things you want to see, it's just impossible to see everything. You just cannot see everything. So you have to kind of decide what you want to look at. And uh, so I spent a lot of time, I would just get lost. <laughs> I always think I have a pretty good sense of direction, but I would just be like walking around a circle going, where am I? I've seen this before. Uh, it's kind of a surreal place. But uh, but yeah, there, there's 
there's of course the big booths, you know, people like Intel and Samsung and Microsoft where you're seeing what they're portraying as being their new stuff. And then there's a lot of small developers that are, you know, it's kind of like Macworld where you have like all these people that have built some interesting product and they're showing it off. And then you have, I mean, CS is kind of, I, I've never seen it on this scale before, but you have all these overseas manufacturers that are looking for someone who can use their manufacturing facilities or, or whatever. And just rows and rows and rows of, of people making stuff. So you have people making, you know, robotic toy airplanes. And then you have, you know, just huge amounts of people that are making you know, rubber cases for iPhones. It's just not interesting stuff. It's just like, it's it's not really for end users expressly. I mean, I think I think CES is really aimed at manufacturers and, and producers and suppliers showing off stuff to the trade, and so it's not always exciting for end users. Like you know, you go to the Intel booth and it's all fancy. It's it's designed to impress suppliers, and it it's also cool to um, consumers that show up because it's it's technology. But there's there's quite a lot of it where you're just you're you're just stuck in this vast warehouse full of people making you know be like fans for PCs or plug it you know power strips or something. It's just like wow, what's going on here? <laughs> and so there was it's a lot of space in the middle of and in the in between there's some some really cool stuff on display. So so just kind of grueling to to be going between trying to find these little hotspots of interesting and the, the maps the, the maps there are. Uh, trying to find where to go seem to be designed by the same people who design maps for casinos, which, are, you know, if you've ever been to a casino, the, the point of a casino is to get you lost. And so if you're trying to get somewhere, the signage is designed to help keep you lost. So basically with a casino, you want people lost because they will stop and they will gamble. Yeah, I, I think the problem in Las Vegas is just there's no skill set for building signs that could possibly be helpful. So it just, just a a problem related to that is that, you know, if you want to know where you're at, the science not going to help you. Okay, so going through this morass of stuff, and you have to find things that are significant. And we understand okay. Intel is pushing new chip designs. Was AMD there? Whatever happened to AMD? Does anyone even care about AMD other than the Radeon graphics cards anymore? Yeah, AMD is still there. Um, what's kind of interesting that's happening in the industry is that you know, it used to be everything was Intel. Everything was Windows. You know, everything had to have Windows on it and had to have an Intel chip. And in the PC market, if you didn't have those things, it's just like, what's going on? Well, I don't understand. What do you, what do you go with, Mac? Um, now, that, just parenthetically, there is a quote from John Scully, the person who was the CEO when Steve Jobs was ejected from the company, more or less. Right. He got thrown out in the early 90s. He said one of the big mistakes he made was to go to PowerPC and not embrace Intel then. Yeah, if you if you dial back the clock and remember what was actually happening in in retrospect, yeah, it looks it's like oh yeah, Apple should have done this, but you know, Next did that. Steve Jobs did that with his own computer. He was using whatever you know. Originally, the Next machines were using the same sixty eight K processor from Motorola that series as the original Macintoshes were. And the reason why they were is because it was a better chip. This x86 was always this kind of oddly designed piece of garbage that was not technically the right chip to be using. But the PC industry was so vast that it was just making making it economically impossible not to use it. 
So it took quite a number of years before the Intel chips developed in a way that Apple could use them. But now you have AMD, though. And we have AMD, and Apple hasn't used them. They've only used the Radeon graphics chips. But AMD is still trying to compete against Intel's processors. And they're not doing a very good job. I mean, you do see some presence in the server space. You see some PCs being offered with AMD, but nobody makes it clear whether that helps or not, whether it makes the computer cheaper, whether it makes it faster, whether it makes it more power efficient. I mean, what does going to AMD do? Well, that that answer keeps changing because, you know, reality keeps changing. But um, at one point, AMD... If you, if you recall, at the beginning of, I don't know, the beginning of this decade, AMD was putting out chips that were powerful and efficient in a way that Intel wasn't. When Intel was on the power or the Intium 4, they were making these smokestack, you know, really high megahertz, you know, gigahertz chips that weren't really that efficient. They used a lot of power and created a lot of heat. And they worked fine for selling PCs to people who thought they needed more gigahertz, but they weren't good chips. And that's part of the reason why Apple didn't go to Intel at that point. And it changed when Intel dialed back its its chip strategy, abandoned Pentium 4, it went back in time a little bit and started this core architecture, which was based on, I think, Pentium 3. They really thought how to how to build their chips and instead of just going after gigahertz they were going after real performance and so they came out with this core chip the the you know core 2 duo line um, that's what apple used when they made the switch to intel so it's easy to talk about intel as if it's never changed but going back through history there have been a lot of times where like i was saying originally originally the x86 chip was awful then they sort of kind of brought it into the mainstream and, and made it something that you could not not use. And if you remember, like you're talking about John Scully, when he came out, when they were talking about PowerPC and that was happening, PowerPC was clean and new and modern. And x86 and the Motorola chip that Apple had been using originally were both appeared to be at the end of their lifespan. And it wasn't until PowerPC was done and in production and working that Intel managed to kind of pull things around and throughout the 90s came out with chips that were still uh, competitive with PowerPC. And because of the huge, vast economies of scale, they were more than competitive. You know, they could be cheaper. It was just, the, there was nothing that Motorola and IBM and Apple could do to keep up with that. And so AMD has, throughout its history, has just been making copies of Intel chips. And so when Intel's doing great, then, Intel, then, my, then um, AMD can have the side business on the side being a cloner. And when Intel was messing up with the Pentium 4, AMD was actually producing better chips. And today, Intel was has been doing pretty good since Apple transferred to the Intel chip architecture with the core. I'll tell you what, before we even get into that, if you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, write us, news at technightowl.com. Once again, that's news at technightowl.com. We will read each and every message we get. We, of course, have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live.
Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwoods. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Hi, Mike Penz with Midas Resources Incorporated, senior monetary specialist. With foreign countries going bankrupt and states within the United States going bankrupt, not to mention all the Ponzi schemes in the marketplace, do you think your money and investments are safe? Of course not. Call me, Mike Penz, 1-800-686-2237, extension 181. I can help answer any questions you have about protecting your money, whether it be personal possession or holding precious metals in an IRA. Gold carries a 6,000-year history that is the only real and lasting money in the world. Paper currencies have come and gone. Governments have toppled. The world map has changed many times, and yet gold still thrives in almost every country. Gold is the ultimate store of wealth. Central banks continue to maintain reserves of gold. Common sense begs the question, why? Let me help you answer that question. Call me, Mike Pence, 1-800-686-2237, extension 181. Call now, and I will send you free information on precious metals. Call Mike Pence, 1-800-686-2237, extension 181. Listeners, it's Jason Lewis, and now that the holidays have come and gone, it's time to get serious about our New Year's resolutions. For 2012, resolve to protect your most valuable asset, your family. Daily, we hear about all the crazy stuff happening around the world, unemployment, food shortages, natural disasters, just to name a few. For my preparation, I recommend wisefoodstorage.com. Wisefoodstorage.com offers delicious ready-made meals like cheesy lasagna and savory stroganoff, that are packaged for freshness in individual metal mylar pouches and carry a 25-year shelf life. Visit wisefoodstorage.com today to request a free entree sample. And for a limited time, enter the promo code LEWIS to get no-cost shipping on any order. That's wisefoodstorage.com or call 855-FOODWISE. That's 855-366-3947 and enter promo code LEWIS for a free sample and free shipping on any order. Peace of mind, the greatest gift you can give to the the ones you love. Emergency preparedness plans must include a fast way to start a fire. Fire up instantly with the revolutionary Quick Stove, a compact, lightweight, portable stove that's ready for cooking in less than one minute. Quick Stove, the safe, non-explosive fuel source that is an emergency preparedness essential. Quick Stove comes with four waterproof fuel cells that ignite in seconds, burn for up to 90 minutes each, can be lit and relit, and be stored indefinitely. At up to 18,000 BTUs, Quick Stove is ready to boil water in less than five minutes and burns hotter than most outdoor stoves. Now the best part. Quick Stove starts at only $34.99 and comes with a 100% satisfaction or your money back guarantee. Order today at quickstove.com or call 801-784-0225. That's 801-784-0225 or go to quickstove.com. Click on the discounts tab for multi-unit savings. Quick Stove, quite possibly the world's fastest outdoor fire.
want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, just send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or check us out at iTunes. With Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider exploring the Consumer Electronics Show about the fact that Intel found a way to make themselves dominant again. But it's all really moving to the ARM processors that are used in the iPhone, used in the iPad, all the Android smartphones, even Microsoft. So is that the future computer chip? Well, it could be. Somebody mentioned, the first time I heard somebody say that the Apple could send its Macs to ARM, I thought, well, ARM chips aren't really designed for that. But the next generation of ARM is pretty impressive. I mean, if, if you look at what Intel's doing, Intel has, has this Atom chip, which is kind of the opposite direction. It's a scaled-down x86 chip that's trying to achieve low power and work in smartphones and tablets and things. Um, it's just it's not quite as good as ARM because ARM is really good at being mobile. But I think there's a lot that ARM can do. Not that, not that it's easy to compete with Intel right now because Intel is, is good at what they do. But I think it's a lot easier for ARM to reduce the, the gap between its high end and Intel's you know, consumer-level PC-type computer chip than it would be for Intel to come, and come down into ARM territory and really eat back mobile market share. Because the, the chips that I've seen from Intel still aren't as impressive. And as, particularly if you look at the, the Medfield chip, the, the chip itself, the, the CPU core, is fine. I mean, it's not that bad. It appears to be on the level of a ARM chip or approaching that. But the GPU side is not very good because Intel's not good at that. Yeah, Intel doesn't do good <clears throat> graphics. And you're seeing the graphics processors with some of these chips for smartphones and tablets, you know, they're doing pretty good work there. Yeah, if you look at Apple's chips, and, and most of the chips in the industry, well, that's not fair to say most, but a lot of, a lot of the chips are similar to what Apple's building with the, the, the A4 and the A5 and the, the last generations of iPad. And it uses the, the CPU core developed by ARM, or the reference design, on one hand, and then on the, on the, in the graphics it uses imagination graphics cores that were developed in parallel by a company that was focusing on graphics cores. And combines those together to make this great package. And both of them are going are are increasing by leaps and bounds in every generation. And if you remember with the iPad, the with iPad two, they said this chip is twice as fast and the graphics is nine times as fast. So the graphics is moving faster than the, the CPU core. And in the next generation of chips that's uh, both of them are moving quite a bit faster. I mean there's gonna be a huge leap in the next generation. But at the same time, what's interesting is not only is Intel's chip kind of weak in graphics, but a lot of other people's chips are kind of weak in graphics. And what's also a problem is that there are a variety of different companies that are competing in this space. You have NVIDIA with the Tegra chips, the graphic chip. You have ARM's own design for graphics. And then you have a number of other companies that are also creating a graphics core chip. And that's a problem for Android because every Android phone has a different graphics chip in it. And a lot of them are kind of weak. And so even the ones that are good, even the one, you know, Samsung's making chips that are almost, you know, 
quite similar to Apple's A5, and now they're making their own chips that are that are already introducing the next generation that are quite good chips. But they're the minority. Well, the question I want to ask here with regard to the Android phone. Now, developers, you know, for the iOS, you know, you're getting a small number of hardware configurations. With smartphones, different graphics chips, quad cores coming, two core processors and everything now. How do you design apps that work across most of these environments? Exactly. That's the problem. And for a lot of hardware things, you can you can support something in, in software. For, you know, for example, in the iPhone line, there were up to a certain point, there were like the first generation didn't have GPS. It had used Wi-Fi triangulation. And, you know, then you had G- actual GPS hardware. And if you're a programmer, you can handle that kind of difference by saying you just talk to location services. And if there's a GPS, it'll give you accurate information. And if there's only Wi-Fi, it'll give you not quite as good information. But it's not a huge problem. And so there's a lot of differences in hardware you can abstract away. But when you talk about graphics hardware, that's a big difference. Because it's not just that the graphics are going slower. It's that if you're doing something like a 3D game or some kind of graphically intensive app, you have to write on the level of the hardware. And if your hardware is just one of half a dozen different things, that becomes a problem because then you have to create implementations for this chip and for this chip and for this chip. And if you look at um, if you look at the PC world, that has been sort of handled. Microsoft started, you know, one of the things with Windows ninety five was it was just PCs were a mess before that. It was just you had no idea whether it even had audio on it, and the graphics, you know, could be anything. So Microsoft came in and they abstracted away a lot of that hardware, and that's what DirectX is, was this attempt to kind of make one Windows that regardless of whatever graphics chip you had in it, a game could play on it at reasonable rate. And that's something that Google isn't really doing. Google is saying, yeah, we'll support anything, but they're not really supporting anything. They're just allowing anything to happen. So Google's very kind of laissez-faire. We'll, we'll come up with a Unix kernel and some you know, stack of apps on top, and you, know, you all figure out the hardware thing, it's not working out very well. And one of the main problems is graphics chips. I didn't understand how big of a problem that was until I um, was reading a report by a, a graphics developer, because you know, I'm not a 3D chip developer or you know, games developer, but he was describing what, what's involved. And it's really interesting to see a specific example of how much of a mess it is to just say, you know, we're open in this ideological way and we're not really controlling things. And if you look at the success Apple's had, particularly with iOS devices, it's because they've thought of things. Where Google is just, we're just going to do whatever. It's like, road trip, we're going to get in a car and we're just going to go in the direction we think we should probably be going. And that's fun, but it doesn't end up getting you where you actually need to be. And that's, Android is just full of decisions like that. So therefore, games may not play as well as they could because you don't know the consequences of the hardware you have. No, it's a bigger problem than that. It's that games cannot be developed. So if you look at the Android range of games, you have you have things like Angry Birds and Cut the Rope. You know, they're not they're not 3D games. They're not graphically intensive games that gamers would expect. Whereas if you look at iOS, there's all kinds of things that are really pushing the boundaries of what you can do on these mobile chips. And, and the mobile hardware, if you look at the graphics hardware, several years ago, <laughs> I was writing articles saying the hardware that's now in smartphones, 
particularly, you know, Apple's what Apple's doing with these smartphones is going to start competing with handheld gaming devices. And everybody said, oh, you're so stupid. You know, th- there's no correlation between the graphics you can have on a smartphone and what you can have on a PlayStation Portable or whatever. But that has happened. And it's if you look at Nintendo and, and Sony, I mean, Sony was never doing really well in the portable business. But Nintendo has owned that forever. And now they're starting to not make as much money as they used to be. <laughs> and it's very clear that they're having there's a huge impact of there's kind of indirect competition because people are choosing to, you know, play Angry Birds instead of play a, a you know, real game. I'll but tell you what, also- we'll get more into the gaming conundrum and other stuff. <laughs> With Daniel Aaron Dilger, I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. You expect professional service from your doctor, your accountant, and even the girl who takes your morning coffee order. Why not from your domain registrar, too? Namecheap.com provides stellar service with no sneaky upselling. We offer more features and security options for your website than there are ways to order a latte. And new domains come with WhoisGuard to protect your personal info. At Namecheap.com, you can get your domain for as low as $2.99. Now is a great time to get to know Namecheap.com. Don't answer it. If fear strikes your heart when the phone rings, knowing it may be another bill collector, it's time for you to call Zero Debt in 90 Days. 800-477-9256. Settlements, bankruptcy, and attorneys are not the answer and may end up costing you up to 10 times more than necessary. Listen, if you're already in debt, does it make sense to get buried in another payment plan? Zero Debt in 90 Days gets you out of debt in 90 days guaranteed without a payment plan and without attorneys or going to court. Get the fastest relief from debt on the planet when you call 800-477-9256. If you have debt with the IRS, credit cards, student loans, or a foreclosure, we can help at Zero Debt in 90 Days, and we are the only organization to provide written guarantees on the results. Go to ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. That's ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. Or call now for free information, 800-477-9256. That's 800-477-9256. Did you ever think you'd be where you are a decade into the 21st century? Record foreclosure rates for homes, if not yours, your neighbors. Thankful for the unemployment check since you were laid off and placing your child's name on the angel tree in hopes of a Christmas gift, along with thousands of other Americans. Did you ever think your future would feel this out of control? The fact is, in all this craziness, there's only one thing you can control. Your greatest dependency, your food supply. 
Make 2012 the year you take control by getting prepared. eFoods Direct introduces the best way to build your food supply in the 21st century. Get a 21-day supply of food free with purchase. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Take back control in 2012. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Remember, you can bet your life on eFoods Direct. Introducing a diabetes breakthrough, an easy, natural, organic way to bring relief to diabetics. Introducing MDS Forte, a concentrated super strength extract formulated for those who are looking for relief. What can MDS Forte do for you? MDS Forte reduces glucose levels safely and effectively, reduces cholesterol and triglyceride levels, increases HDL or good cholesterol while reducing LDL or bad cholesterol. MDS Forte reduces A1C, improves eyesight and circulation to the limbs, and helps with weight loss. Is non-toxic, caffeine-free, 100% natural, 100% organic, and comes with a 100% money-back guarantee. Waiting for the side effects disclaimers? With MDS Forte, there are none. Order a 25-day treatment of MDS Forte by calling 213-405-5355, 213-405-5355, or visit bestbloodsupport.com. That's bestbloodsupport.com for MDS Forte, a diabetes breakthrough. Do you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg. With Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine, Apple Insider, we started focusing a little bit on the Consumer Electronics Show, but forking into hardware and hardware capabilities, and now about the problems with those who write software for the Google Android platform in delivering the best graphics performance because there's so many different hardware combinations, so many different problems. And then we have the traditional gaming companies are now competing with, say, the iPhone. The iPhone the iPad, with these faster and faster graphics chips, are they on a par with separate gaming hardware yet? It doesn't have to be totally on par. I mean, that's one of the... uh... One of the things people talk about when they compare Android and Apple is they say, oh, well, you know, Android isn't quite as good as Apple, but it doesn't have to be. You know, it's kind of like Windows. It just has to be a placeholder that's good enough. Well, the problem is if something is good enough, it competes with something that is, you know, on a higher tier. And with the iPhone or with iOS devices, you have something that's good enough in hardware to start competing away from attention for these games. And one of the big reasons why it can compete is not only is the hardware starting to get in the same realm, and and really, the iPhone, the hardware of recent generations is newer, significantly newer than what Sony and, and Nintendo have been putting in their gaming machines. Because those those games are not quite but quite old. Even the newest generation, I mean, that Sony is still using the same chips that Apple has available. Because now they're on the same level. I mean, Apple's making more devices than Sony is mobile devices, and so it was just a situation where Apple caught up. But it's it's not just that you can't make as good of software on, on Android, it's, there's no business model to support it. So iOS, the reason why iOS is competing, why it brought the game to mobile gaming, is because Apple created a store where you could reliably sell games for a dollar or five dollars and have a huge audience and make money on it. And people were more likely to throw a dollar or five dollars at a game than they are to look at games for, you know, a 3DS that cost... $50 a piece or something like that. 
in that, in, that, in that range. And so you have a lot of casual games that are just buying games. So it's a lot easier to get volume because you're selling for a lot lower price. Now, in Android, you have cheap games as well. And in a lot of cases, they're free with ads or whatever. But there's just not enough money to cover the development. And the development is harder because you have all these different chips. So you have developers looking at Android and saying, I would, you know, I don't have an ideological barrier that's preventing me from writing Android apps, but it's just, there's no financial reason to. So why it's would you about do that? money. They're looking to make a living and they'll go to the platforms that yield a good return. Right. I mean, and if, if there's not that support, and, you know, some of the problems are Google's fault because Google set up this store that said, oh, it's free and open. Anybody can put anything in. We're not even going to check it out. Well, that ends up with a lot of junk in the store. I mean, this was obvious stuff, and Google was just kind of like, oh, no, it'll, everything will sort itself out. And so now if you go to Android Market, it's just full of garbage. If you go, even if you search for something that you know is there, you know, Angry Birds, of course it's going to be there. You have just pages and pages of you know, guides to Angry Birds or you know, phony games or you know, something that's pretending to be that game, but it's not really. Or a copyright, you know, basically a stolen version with some malware attached. And so you just had this bunch of junk. You know, people talk about um, iOS is a difficult model to get into because, you know, you make a game, it's not going to stand out. Well, the problem is much worse on Android because it's not just other games you're competing with. You're just competing with a bunch of junk and a bunch of people trying to, to cheat you. And you have a population of an audience that is more than likely to steal your game. Because they're people that are going for a cheaper experience to start with, and they're they're not the kind of people that pay for things they want. And the other issue too, if someone goes there and they buy a few apps and the apps are garbage, they're not going to buy more apps. If they keep getting burned, they're not going to invest. But then, is the review system, at least in the Android market, decent enough for people to avoid the worst? I don't. I don't think a review system can fix that. So, you know, if you look at, you know, if you're familiar with the Internet, <laughs> there's a lot of places where people comment on the Internet and they do so anonymously and, and whatever, and it's, it's usually no good. If you want good comments, you do what, you know, sites like TechCrunch have done and you, and you put Facebook comments on it so people actually have their name on it. Um, Android Market, I, I, I just, I don't see that, I mean, there's some benefit of comments, but the way it's designed is it is not on the level of the App Store. It's just a mess. And once you have a mess, it's very difficult to clean it up. And what's interesting, I mean, a lot of people looked at Amazon getting in this and said, oh, well, Amazon is an actual retailer. They're not just like an internet, you know, a web developer that's throwing up a retail store without knowing what it's doing like Google did. Amazon created a, a real market for Android stuff. And everyone looked at it and said, oh, well, here's here's... Now Android has an app store, just like Apple. But the problem there is that Amazon wants to charge as little as it can for software just to, to generate buzz, so they give your apps away. So if you're a developer and Amazon has decided, hey, let's, let's give his app away today, um, you just, your value, your, your income has been converted from revenue into free advertising for Amazon that day. Now, with the App Store, you can set your own price, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's competition. Obviously, you understand the range under which apps are being offered. 
I suppose Apple has the option to say this is too expensive. But with Android, we understand you can do anything. With Amazon, they set your price? Well, you can set what you kind of want to be your price, and then they will just like put it on fire sale if they, if they want to. And it, when I originally read it, it sounded like they could just you know, give it a super clearance price, and they would still give you some percentage of what you said you wanted it to be. But what they actually did was say, we're basically going to give your app away for free whenever we feel like it, and you're going to have a huge volume of users to support that didn't pay for your app and you're not going to get any money for it at all, which is, you know, it's great for Amazon, it's great for end users, but it doesn't work for a business model. So basically here, if we talked about a walled garden with Apple, Amazon is the walled garden's worst enemy. Well, it's, it's very much more of a, yeah, it's a market where the, the retailer is in control, where Apple set up a market that's very fair. It, it seems like Apple looked at the, the landscape and said, hey, if we build a market where people bringing stuff to market and people coming to the market both have this very balanced scenario and we just take a small portion to pay for the construction of the market and maintenance of the market, then we'll have this ideal market. And what Google said was, hey, if we just invite a bunch of people to show up, we'll see what happens. And that ended up with just a junk show where it's very difficult to find what you want and it's very difficult to not get ripped off. And Amazon's take is to say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to take all the momentum behind Google's market where there's already, there's already some apps developed and we're going to have the same kind of Apple-esque sort of process that you have to go through to list anything. And we're going to have our existing customers because Amazon already has a lot of retail customers. So we're going we're gonna to drive developers to bring their stuff here. But then we're going to have our whatever onerous marketing stuff that we're just going to do whatever we want as a retailer. The difference is Apple is not a, a retailer in the same sense that Amazon is. Amazon is, number one, retailer. Number two, they also like develop hardware like the Kindle and you know, develop some software. That's not their core competency. Apple's core competency is developing hardware, developing platforms, and then retailing. And Apple's retailing is still better than Amazon's, you know, number one hat. So it's just a better situation for everyone involved to be in the iOS store than it is anywhere else. And it's interesting, there's all this criticism. You know, everyone's like, oh, Apple's doing this, and Apple's taking a cut, and Apple's, like, forcing you not to have pornography, and blah, 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 blah. All that has blown over because Apple was right. Apple did things in the correct way. So Apple wasn't, you know, like Google, just saying, you know, whatever people want, they can do, you know... It was really a focus to say what should be done. What, what's the best? What's the right way to do this? The right way to do this is to tell you this is the Tech Night Out Live with Gene Steinberg. More to come with Daniel Aaron Dilger. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance 
to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwoods. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockaway, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Positive results from satisfied customers of Heart and Body Extract continue to pour into our website, hbextract.com. This is Al from New Jersey. One day I saw your ad for Heart and Body Extract, and it mentioned that it would help me with angina, so I decided to order. I figure I had nothing to lose. Heart and Body Extract supplies your body with everything it needs to balance itself and maintain optimal heart and circulatory health with no negative side effects. I took the formula three times a day as directed, and I kid you not, within four days, my angina pain was completely gone. Order HB Extract by calling 866-295-5305 or online at hbextract.com. That's 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. I could not believe it actually stopped the pain. Heart and Body Extract actually works. This is just an amazing product. Even the numbness in my hands is completely gone. Heart and Body Extract for a long and healthy life. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System system today complete with two black berkey elements for only 231 dollars and the berkey guy will ship your order free of charge with the purchase of a berkey light the berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only 39.99 that's over 30 percent off the retail price call the berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653 that's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com that's goberkey.com today Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget, CrossbreedHolsters.com. In a coming-apart world, you need something to keep it tied together. That something is Atwood Rope, the highest quality rope made in the USA from exotic braids for military, rescue, arborists, shipyards, tow line, or boating. Quality rope at affordable prices you and your customers can depend on. Find a dealer or shop online at atwoodrope.net. Enter promo code RADIO to receive 100 feet of 550 paracord free with purchase. Atwood Rope, working to keep the world tied together. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg. Daniel Aaron Dilgriff, Roughly Drafted Magazine, AppleInsider.com. And we're focusing here on the 
app environment for the App Store, Android Market, also Amazon. But now here's an interesting story that came out just in the last few weeks. Surveys of sales show that since the iPhone 4S came out, up till then, Android had a fairly big share of the market. The iPhone was doing pretty well. And now there's a point of convergence where more and more people are getting iPhones. Therefore, fewer people are getting Android phones. What happened after the iPhone 4S came out? Is it that big a difference? Is Siri everything? Well, Siri is kind of cool. I, I've talked to a lot of Android people. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people that have an Android phone. Whenever I see somebody with an Android phone, I ask them about it. You know, I don't ask them like, oh, was that piece of crap? I ask them, it's like, oh, what do you think? Because I'm interested in what people are thinking when they get an Android phone. Across the board, you see some people that, some people like it. I have, I have friends that have an Android phone and they think it's great. And, but in general, the people I talk to is in this kind of very like getting their impression as opposed to like trying to mold their impression when I have a conversation with them. I, what I see from people is they get this thing and they're happy with it for about five minutes and then they're like, oh, this is awful. And it's kind of on the same level as Windows PC users. I've seen a lot of people. I mean, you see a lot of people going to the Mac because they're like, oh, yeah, this Windows, I have all these problems. And people have told me, it's like, I should get a Mac. And they get a Mac and they're like, oh, Windows is so much better. I'm already seeing a lot of Android people getting tired of Android stuff. And it, it's also kind of the, the pattern that you're described with the iPhone 4S happened the year before with the iPhone 4. Because you start out the year, everyone is pulling out their stuff, their, their new hardware, the you know, next generation chips, fancier screens, new features. So Android appears to have this initial push that until about the first half of the year, they look more attractive. So it's just, it's kind of a norm, normal wave where you have, they get a head start and then, you know, the iPhone comes out and blows it away. And that's happened every year. So before this year, it was, you know, the dual core chips. Last year, it was Android 2.0 versus iPhone 4.0. And the year before, it was kind of like the Palm Pre. Everyone was so excited about that until it actually came out. And they're like, oh, oh this isn't really what I was hoping for. So it's, it's, it's not difficult to predict that that wave is going to keep happening because is all, the, all the various hardware makers of the world come out with their stuff when Apple doesn't have as much to show because Apple comes out with this new smartphone every year. And in addition to the iPhone 4S this year, you also have the free iPhone 3GS. So you have a lot of people going to a phone that wasn't an option before. And there was also an article recently about the, uh, there's a lot of secondhand iPhones. And they were, they were looking, is this, is this a good thing for Apple or is it a bad thing for Apple? Or, and how does it relate to everyone else? Having a, a secondhand smartphone is usually not very useful. But with the iPhone, if you have a secondhand iPhone, it's still useful. You can still update it for you know, two years, more than two years. And so people are giving them to their friends or you know, selling them on the market as a used device. And people that wouldn't normally get an iPhone get an iPhone, and it allows them to experience what it's like. And having gotten an iPhone when they need to get another phone, what phone should I get? Well, I got the iPhone. It's pretty good. Let me get the newer, faster version. Yeah. Now, moving on, though, in the tablet space, reports this past season, we don't get the full figures from Amazon, but supposedly the Kindle Fire 
drew some sales, small number of sales, away from the iPad. This true? Is it all because of price? I, I don't think the the Kindle Fire had an impact on what Apple would have sold otherwise. I mean, not a not a significant impact. And if you look at the number of Kindles that they believe have sold, it's it's not that high. I mean, it's not really the same kind of product. I've seen people. I mean, I'm, I don't really like the Kindle, but it's probably because I'm you know snooty and I'm used to using an iPad. But I've seen people use it. You know, people picked up. I have the one in my house. You know, people come by and they use it, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, I'll play Angry Birds on this." There's a lot of things you can do on the Kindle, the Kindle Fire, that um, is attractive to a number of people, and it, you know, it's cheap. It's two hundred bucks. So they're selling to a market that's very different than than the iPad. So it's it's difficult to compare. I would think the, if anything, the Kindle Fire has probably had the biggest impact on the iPod Touch because people are saying, I have 200 bucks in my pocket. Do I want to buy something that plays you know, music and apps and all this stuff, but it's kind of small? Or do I want to have something that's stretched out to be you know, like a book size? I could see people choosing, legitimately choosing a Kindle Fire instead of a iPod Touch, same price. But to say that a bunch of iPads are not selling because people are buying this Kindle Fire, I, I think that's a bit of a stretch. Well, I think if someone wants to buy something and they have a couple of hundred dollars, but you know, four ninety nine, maybe I can get a refurbished for three ninety nine. I don't know. That's a bit much for me right now. But I mean, how many people are choosing between that and that? I mean, it, it's kind of like saying, let's see, do I want to buy, do I want to buy this little scooter, or do I want to buy a Ducati? I'm not sure if I should spend, you know, a few hundred bucks or a couple thousand dollars. You know, several thousand dollars. It, it's not. They're not really in the same market. So people who are looking at an iPad are saying, hmm, should I buy this Motorola XY board or should I buy a Samsung Galaxy Tab? And they're looking at the features and price and they're saying, oh, I should buy the iPad because it's cheaper. But if you're buying a Kindle Fire, you're probably not saying, hmm, do I want to buy an iPad? Or... And I've also, I've also observed other people. And <laughs> I was at, I was at a you know, a holiday function with some family and somebody got a Kindle Fire and they were like, yeah, it's good. And then, and then somebody got an iPad, you know, like the new iPad too. And it was like, oh yeah, I'm happy with this. It's, it's like somebody pulled the joke out. I, I don't know. It was one of the late night comedians saying, you know, Kindle Fire is going to be the the thing that bad, you know, parents, clueless parents get their kids and they're all upset. <laughs> So, I mean, it's kind of that impression. It's like, this is the cheap knockoff version of, well, it's not really real. But it will be interesting to see what Amazon does afterward. Because the Kindle Fire, I mean, the, the initial one was very much just to let's poop something out for the holidays. And what they're going to do this year is probably produce something that's actually more on the level of competing. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. And it's also the question whether the financial model works. Is it good enough to sell the product at cost or for slight loss and are they making up the difference in sales they would not have otherwise achieved? Well, I think that whole thing is kind of nonsense. I don't. Amazon is not giving away hardware to sell a few magazines, and that wasn't a, a legitimate business model. It's just that Amazon didn't have any other options. So Amazon can either throw out a placeholder product for the winter and lose a little bit of money, and then you know try to come back with a better product later that they can sell for an actual profit. But all these people that are saying, oh, yeah, Amazon can continue to lose money 
ad nauseum for the rest of its existence, and they'll make up money on content. I mean, that's so ridiculous. You know, if you look at how much money Apple makes on content, they say they strive to break even. Well, really, you think, you think Amazon is making more money than Apple in content? Amazon is just desperate to make any money, to have anything going on. Because if they don't have a device, the whole Kindle infrastructure ecosystem looks bad. So, I mean, it's really a desperate move. I mean, to lose money, uh, the, the reason why the Kindle Fire was 200 bucks was because it was a playbook with some features stripped off and sold at cost. It wasn't a, a good tablet. It wasn't designed to be a tablet. It wasn't designed to make money. They also took an older version of the Android OS because I guess they could bring it to market faster. They could rush it out. Yeah, because I mean, isn't that also the version that shipped with you know, the Playbook used its own proprietary operating system, right. which, of course, didn't go anywhere either. But oh, the wow. people that are building the Playbook are also building all these, you know, year-old version of Android things. And they, are, they know how it works. If you look at, I mean, the, the pace of technology is pretty fast. So you can look at these companies and be like, why are you still shipping the old version of Android? And it's because it's known. I mean, it's like a known thing. And if you look at companies like Apple, that in stark contrast are coming out with new software every year on this fast pace, they got it all down because they're competent and they're developing this stuff and they know how to do it. Apple's been making platforms for 30 years. That's their business. It's not the business of Google to develop a smartphone platform. And even then, they haven't figured a way to deal with the uptake of the new operating system. So I don't know personally how good Ice Cream Sandwich is, which is Android 4.0. They say it's a lot better. Okay, maybe it's a lot better, but why is it that most of the smartphones and tablets out there are using last year's operating system? They have to get that together, a way of distributing these OS to the older hardware. Otherwise, people are wasting money. They're not getting the latest and greatest. The latest and greatest is Daniel Aaron Dilger. He'll be back for one more segment on the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the People grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com, we're talking now about the 
iOS versus Android conundrum about the hardware specifically. So what is it here? They know the problem. I mean, Google certainly knows their partners are not pushing these updates. Google is a big company. How come they can't somehow convince the handset makers, the tablet makers, and the carriers to find a way to get those software updates out so people get the latest and greatest? This is a very complicated problem. Um, the reason why Apple doesn't have cloners making Macs for it is the same reason. It's just very difficult. If you look at the cloner market, it's very difficult to work with all these different suppliers. And the best, I mean, the the closest thing you can compare to Android is Windows. And if you look at how how Microsoft was doing it, Microsoft was doing, you know, a, a better job of managing the platform and making everyone look the same, every PC. And the PC makers don't like that. They don't, they don't want to... Dell doesn't want to know that if someone's going to the store, they're just as likely to buy a. I mean, Dell's not in the store, but you know you have it. Well, they a are Dell in the HP. store now. Well, you have a Dell and an HP, and it's like it doesn't matter which one you get because it's that's the same right. experience. And the hardware makers want to differentiate, and so that that's Google's allowed that more, which has resulted in more problems for the platform. But on top of that, if you look at Windows, Microsoft would come out with a new version of Windows. How often? Every couple of years, every, it, the best, it, you know, went for seven years with XP. They'd only, they only have to come out with a new version every several years and they can build up to it and, you know, have this huge, you know, million dollar marketing thing. Google's having to pop out a new one every year after Apple. And they're not, you know, last year they missed almost the entire year because they were trying to do tablets and, you know, completely lost it on that one. But the opportunity cost was that they didn't focus on smartphones, which is where the money was in for Android. So you have Android or you have Google trying to come out with new stuff every year on on the same schedule as Apple. It's just a huge job. And Apple is doing all the work it's doing for a limited number of hardware devices that it intimately knows. And it can make decisions that accommodate older hardware, for example, or, um, plan for new stuff that's down the pike where Google can't do that. Google's not making, it's not even really making a version that it's not making something the same as windows that can run on any sort of PC. It's making ice cream sandwich. Android 4.0 that they just released last month is only works on the galaxy. What is it? The galaxy Nexus, which I played with. It's, it's a better version of Android, but it's still Android. And so instead of being a platform, it's really just like, kind of a way to run widgets because there's not really apps. So if your focus is on doodling with a piece of hardware, that's what Android's for. If your focus is on having a computing device that can run applications and do useful things, then you need an iOS. Now, I'm thinking here also as you talk about widgets and stuff, about Windows 8. We've got the Metro overlay, this interface, which is a bunch of widgets which have barely readable text. And as soon as you click beneath them, at least on the beta version, that I've seen, it still looks like Windows. There's not that much difference. Well, I mean, all Windows 8 is at this point is Windows 7 with this layer of Metro on top. That's what it looked like to me. You know, Windows 7, nothing wrong with it. Obviously, the best version of Windows that we have out there. Well, there is something wrong with it. It doesn't work on tablets and it doesn't work on ARM. So that's what Microsoft is scrambling to do over the two years. And they're not going to have something that's like, oh, this is a much better product. It's going to be like, oh, this is a product that also works on ARM. And yeah, this is such a problem. I mean, it, Windows 8, people are all excited about it, and it's like there's not really that much to be excited about. 
it, it's kind of they, they have some kind of cool um, stuff as far you know the touch controls and stuff and it's like oh yeah it's whatever but the big problem for Windows 8 is that it's radically different so the people who want continuity well you know IT people have to deal with all this change and the people that want something you know, recognizable is all out the window and if you want to if you want to look at how well that strategy is going to work out all you have to look is what Microsoft did in the past when they came out with Vista there were a lot of improvements to Vista, technical improvements, but the UI was like completely different. People had to relearn how to do stuff, and it really wasn't that different. It just looked, you know, there was like a, a look, but it wasn't like behaviorally completely different. People hated Vista just because it was like, oh, I have to figure all this stuff out. And if you look at anything else, you know, like the ribbon thing, that, that didn't work out really well. Sales of Office haven't like exploded since then. And if you even look at Apple stuff, I mean, when Apple came out with mild differences in, in Lion that are, you know, fairly minor, people are like, oh, I don't know if I like this. And then, you know, Final Cut 10, they came out with this new version of Final Cut that was tremendously better but didn't have some of the old features. People were like, oh, I'm freaking out. And same thing with QuickTime X and, you know, QuickTime 10 and whatever. Anytime you make changes too rapidly, people start freaking out. So if you think if you think Metro is going to be em- embraced by the PC public, I I don't know. I find that very difficult to believe. It will be a completely different situation that's never happened before in the history of computing, I think, if that occurs. Well, of course, we're doing this show ahead of Microsoft's latest financials, so we never know. But certainly with PC sales, they've gone down. Whereas Apple will report some degree of rise next week for the Mac OS. So is it more and more people now are getting the message, hey, you know what, let's get the Macs in here. Microsoft isn't doing anything. They're not doing anything that caters to the enterprise. Right now, the number one Windows OS on the planet is still Windows XP. Yeah, I mean, people are, it's going to be more and more difficult to come out with something totally new, especially for these open platforms that are, you have to convince people to adopt something new. I mean, Apple can roll out new stuff a lot faster because it can say, here's the new way of doing things, boom. But if you look at how Apple has released OS over uh, iOS over the last five years, it's been quite gradual. There's been like, oh, this works a little bit better now. It's not, here's a completely different interface that doesn't have anything to do with how you used to use your phone. That wouldn't work. People would freak out. People be like, oh, I'm not, you know, maybe I'll, if I have to learn all this stuff, might as well look at an Android device if it's cheaper. Might as well look at Windows, Windows Phone. It's completely different, too. Well, the issue is here, some people are saying that about Lion, that some of the Lion changes that make it closer in concept to the iOS are confusing and hurt the learning curve. As a matter of fact, the areas where it's most controversial, like scrolling in the reverse direction and stuff like that, you can restore it to the previous behavior. It's not that you're forced to use it. Yeah, I mean, there's some things that are differences that you have to learn. And then there's some things that are, there are, there are some aspects of Lion that are kind of annoying. There's like, didn't really, didn't really finish that, did you, Apple? Um, I wish they would make it so that if you're working on an application, you know, if you're working on a document, you can't really save as. Now you have to duplicate, and you have to you have to kind of know how you're supposed to do it. And it's actually simpler and more straightforward, but it's still confusing if you're used to saving as to create another document. They should make it so you can click the title bar and change the name right there. But um, of all the changes in line that you can complain about, they're very minor. 
I mean, they're, they're like little tweaks that are like something annoying here or something that's cool here, but they're very small. I mean, on a overall level, they didn't come out with a completely different thing that was, you know, no dock and the desktop was now round or, you know, it's just, it's fairly minor changes where if you look at windows and if you compare windows seven to this windows metros thing, there's nothing, there's no similarity whatsoever. It's a far larger leap than from Mac OS 10 to iOS. I mean, it's just completely out of left field. And yet they're not selling it as like, here's a new product that you can learn how to use. Like that was what the iPhone was. And that's what, what the iPad was, was like an expansion of the iPhone type environment. They're saying, here's a computer and, you know, it'll go into this mode and then it'll be that mode. And then, you know, here's a tablet that will only work this way. And it's called Windows, but it doesn't really want, run Windows apps like you expect it to. And so, yeah, they're going to have a lot of blowback because people are going to freak out. We're going to freak out if we don't ask you, Daniel Aaron Dilger, where we can find more of the stuff you do. I write for Apple Insider, and I've been writing for my blog is RefleyDrafted.com. And coming up next on the Tech Night Out Live, Rob Pecorero used to be with the Washington Post, but now he's with USA Today. We have to welcome him to the show. And a special thank you to Daniel Aaron Dilger, once again, of RefleyDrafted.com and AppleInsider.com for joining us on this week's episode of the Tech Night Out Live. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gene. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. You expect professional service from your doctor, your accountant, and even the girl who takes your morning coffee order. Why not from your domain registrar, too? Namecheap.com provides stellar service with no sneaky upselling. We offer more features and security options for your website than there are ways to order a latte. And new domains come with WhoisGuard to protect your personal info. At Namecheap.com, you can get your domain for as low as $2.99. Now is a great time to get to know Namecheap.com. Hey everybody, Jason Lewis here once again. These are hard times for investors. If you're like me, you just don't know where to put your money because there's a downside to every possible scenario. Now look, every portfolio needs a hedge for inflation. Gold has been the classic. I want to tell you, I want to be honest with you, commodities fluctuate. So you could lose money. Gold goes up and down. But every stable portfolio usually has an inflation hedge and gold is, well, the gold standard. Washington is not going to get us out of this recovery so you've got to protect yourself. Give it some thought, and if you're interested in converting your IRA to gold or would like to actually have it in your possession, call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237. The U.S. dollar was once backed by gold, but it's lost a lot of its value since then. Call Midas Resources today, 1-800-686-2237 for gold. That's 1-800-686-2237, and tell them Jason Lewis sent you. 
ready to save while getting prepared? Then you're ready for the winter sale at 21stCenturyGoods.com. Take advantage of the incredible savings on all items at 21stCenturyGoods.com. Portable AM, FM, and shortwave radios from 1995. American Red Cross emergency radios and Cato radios from 2895. Solar lanterns from 2295. Solar flashlights, two for 1695. Hand crank LED hurricane lanterns and flashlights from 895. Be sure to check out the flexible solar panels to power your emergency and survival gear. Every order over $75 will receive a solar-powered flashlight absolutely free. So get prepared this winter by visiting 21stCenturyGoods.com. Spelled the number 2, the number 1, S-T-CenturyGoods.com, 21stCenturyGoods.com, or call 866-999-8422. That's 866-999-8422. 21stCenturyGoods.com. Power up your survival. Did you know that gold and silver contain healing properties? It's true. Since the beginning of mankind's history, gold and silver have not only been used as real money, but also for healing our minds and bodies. UtopiaSilver.com is your leading source for colloidal silver and colloidal gold, offering supplement protocols that can heal and enhance your health. Protocols for boosting the immune system, insomnia, yeast infections, herpes, and countering the effects of vaccinations and radiation poisoning. And now Utopia UtopiaSilver.com encourages the use of real money with this buy one, get one free real money special. For details on your colloidal silver and colloidal gold supplements, call 888-213-4338 and ask about 50% off for first-time customers. That's 888-213-4338 or visit UtopiaSilver.com. UtopiaSilver.com. Fighting for liberty and healing one American at a time. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com. Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com. So we're joined by tech writer Rob Pegarero, who, among other things, writes for usatoday.com. And we're going to explore something that Apple has done that realizes a dream expressed by myself, Rob, and other people about the future of education. And the best way to frame it is the fact that when you see your kids go to school, and I remember this, my son would be carrying this huge backpack to high school, probably weighed 30, 40 pounds. And my son is not a tall guy. Okay, so he's being weighted down. And you have to think about grade school kids weighing, what, 60, 70 pounds being weighed down by something that's almost half what they weigh. And you have to think about their backs, their spinal cords. You know, what is this doing? But, you know, it was also the fact of the matter that textbooks can be hugely expensive. And there's a big market for huge textbooks because, you know, you go to college, for example, and you want to buy the new ones. Well... Dad, I need $500 to buy my textbooks. That's what my son would tell me. So we have something here that Apple has done, which I guess realizes the original dream of the iPad, which had the potential to replace the textbooks. But Rob, why did it take so long? I don't know. You mentioned when the the iPad first launched. I had this thought when the Kindle first launched. You know, at the the time I thought books sold with DRM are kind of a a debased commodity. You never know if they're going to stop working. You can't exactly pass them on. 
But textbooks are the ultimate disposable commodity. No one keeps them around. I have maybe two books left over from college, both of which have you know certain coffee table book advantages. You don't want to keep them around, but you can never sell them afterwards. You get you know ten cents on the dollar trying to sell them at the used book co-op at the end of the semester. So I remember writing, you know, hey, if I could have spent four hundred dollars mom and dad's money my freshman year to buy this at the time, in retrospect, crummy little tablet that would hold all of my textbooks, weigh less than a pound, instead of having forty pounds of books that would become useless in a year, of course it would have done it. But you know that was how long has the Kindle been around? Right. Well, sure. But e-book readers have been around since the 1990s, but they've never realized the potential. And part of the problem with the original Kindle is it didn't do color. And so many of your textbooks are in full color. Exactly. I'm surprised it's taken so long, but I'm glad somebody's taken a whack at this because, yeah, I well remember walking around, walking to, you know, across campus or going to school with that many books in my backpack, going uphill both ways, I should add. And who needs that? Okay, so Apple had this special educational event in New York City. And what's the story? What did we get out of it? Well, the crux of it is a, a new iBooks 2 app. If you have your iPad open, go to the App Store icon. You should have an update waiting for you, um, which now supports textbooks that allow for all sorts of interactive features. You can take notes. Textbooks can include uh, videos and photos. In a way, what this really reminds me of, do you remember those coffee table CD-ROMs that were supposed to be a new art form in the mid to late 1990s? We've finally gotten to that point, I guess. Well, they went nowhere, though. Right. Well, our iPad does spend a fair amount of time on the coffee table. But in this case, they can also be educational, not just a nice thing to flip through. There's an iTunes U app that schools can use. Textbooks are supposed to start at $15. There is a free one, which, of course, I cannot download on our iPad. The download, it says, unable to download E.O. Wilson's Life on Earth. Retry or download later from the store. Apparently, there are probably 500 million people downloading it right now. Apparently, I'm not alone in that quest. I haven't even tried. Yeah, uh, you might want to save that for the evening. I think we'll do that. So assume, listeners, that I will have it when the show goes on. So, okay, so now we have this miracle that Apple has made, but they also had to reach agreements with the major publishers of textbooks because they control it. McGraw-Hill, Pearson, yep. Houghton Mifflin, Harcourt. These cover, what, 90% of the textbook market. Apple had to make those deals to get this to work. They must be used to negotiating with, uh, you know, large entertainment industry conglomerates by now after having gone through the same drill with music on iTunes, TV shows on iTunes, movies on iTunes. I hope their legal department has gotten well rehearsed at this point. So the key also is with a textbook, obviously, especially in terms of modern history and a lot of scientific textbooks, things change so fast. The textbook is out of date in a couple of years. But with an interactive textbook... They can continue to send updates over the time that you need the textbook in order to revise the content. Yeah, which gets around. I remember I was lucky enough to be uh, taking a, a course on the history of Eastern Europe my sophomore year of college, I guess, which happened to be right about the time the history of Eastern Europe was getting rewritten in the streets of Poland and East Germany and Czechoslovakia. And eventually the, the professor said, just put aside the textbook, just read the newspaper every morning and come prepared to discuss it. I don't think iBooks 2 is ready to keep up with that, but it does get around the issue of you know having to buy a yearly update and you know throw out the old textbook. That's a lot of trees going to the blade for no good reason. And Apple is always environmentally aware, so you don't so, waste so, trees. But the other question, of course, is, and I haven't gone through how the textbooks work, but would you be able to do your homework on your iPad now or what? Do you get a copy of Apple's pages and interact? Uh, the idea is, yeah, it's... it's I'm looking through their press release here. Note-taking, 
highlighting lesson reviews, study cards. Uh, of course, I should note there's also an iBooks author app that's available through the Mac App Store that lets anyone, not just the, the big-name publishers, create their own textbooks. It says cookbooks, history books, picture books, and more. I guess I could publish a picture book of my, uh, my trip to CES a week ago if anyone wants to buy that. Um, so that, that, that's an interesting thing down the line. That sort of democratizes textbooks a little bit. But as far as uh, lesson plans and whatnot, that's where iTunes U comes in. Now, iTunes U has been around for a while. What's the story about it? Well, I have to confess I haven't tried it in a while either since I, it's been a long time since I've been in any sort of school, educational setting. So I don't know. I'm going to have to go to look and see uh, what they're doing with it these days. Well, supposedly this is something that could work together. In other right. words, it could be a full interactive course. In theory. You know, the, the big unknown with this is that here we've got a very Mac and iOS solution, which is fine if the, the school is standardized on that. And right now the odds are that's the case. But, you know, there, there are a lot of low-priced Android-based tablets coming out that are going to cost a lot less than an iPad and could be just as good for viewing a textbook. So that's that's one thing I'm surprised that Apple is still, you know, they're the only people running an ebook store that have an ebook app that is it's actually less compatible than you'd think coming from Apple. You can't read an iBooks book on your Mac. It's your iPad and your iPhone and your iPod Touch and that's it. Right, but you can also get an Amazon Kindle app and read Kindle books on the Mac, the PC, I guess Linux, and on uh, Android, actually, on anything. Yeah, there's an HTML5 Kindle app, so that will work on anything that runs a modern browser. You know, that's, that's, that's one way that Amazon and Apple have parted courses as clearly as you can see. Right, here's a situation here where Apple has a proprietary solution, but they also got the deals with the publishers. And right. That counts for a lot. Because you, the case- you can see where certain educational institutions may have some of their own courses, which is what I gather an iTunes U would be about. Right. But with most schools, they're going to be buying the commercially available textbooks. And if Apple has the deals, where do the other companies go? Where does Android go? Where does Google go with that? Where does Amazon go? Yeah, we don't know what kind of deals uh, Apple has signed. I will say that while I am not interested in buying a, a nonfiction or fiction book on iBooks for my own reading, you know, I've got too many different kinds of computers and platforms in use. And I'll tell you what, we'll get that explanation in a moment from yep. Rob Pegarero. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes... The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack 
of the Rockwoods, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption, of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, Terraganics.com, or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic. Emergency preparedness plans must include a fast way to start a fire. Fire up instantly with a revolutionary Quick Stove, a compact, lightweight, portable stove that's ready for cooking in less than one minute. Quick Stove, the safe, non-explosive fuel source that is an emergency preparedness essential. Quick Stove comes with four waterproof fuel cells that ignite in seconds, burn for up to 90 minutes each, can be lit and relit, and be stored indefinitely. At up to 18,000 BTUs, Quick Stove is ready to boil water in less than five minutes and burns hotter than most outdoor stoves. Now the best part. Quick Stove starts at only $34.99 and comes with a 100% satisfaction or your money back guarantee. Order today at quickstove.com or call 801-784-0225. That's 801-784-0225 or go to quickstove.com. Click on the discounts tab for multi-unit savings. Quick Stove, quite possibly the world's fastest outdoor fire. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1 877 886 3653. That's 1 877 886 3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle, live with Gene Steinberg. We have Rob Pigarero. He writes for a number of venues, including usatoday.com. And we're discussing Apple's iBooks 2 with those interactive textbooks. We're talking a little bit about iTunes U. And you were going on about some of the various options of downloading and everything. Yeah, so like I said at the start of this, textbooks are a funny category of uh, literature. They are. I don't mean to insult the authors and the people who put in a lot of hours on these things, but they're disposable. So in that sense, the idea that you're buying something that's wrapped up in digital rights management and you can only read on this one category of device, 
that's okay because no one keeps these things around for the ages. So I've got one sort of metric by which I might decide where, uh, you know, what format I'd buy, you know, the Steve Jobs biography. And another, same in school, I just, I need to buy this book. I don't have a choice. That decision is made for me. And I'm not going to keep it around for the long term. So compatibility and openness are not as big of a priority there, assuming I have an iPad. So in that case, too, the schools could make a deal with you, okay, as part of the course material, as part of your tuition, it includes the purchase, if you need one, of an iPad 2 or iPad 3, whatever is available at the time. And then, of course, you buy your stuff. Oh, don't say iPad 3. That's going to get the rumor sites going. But exactly. The genie's out of the bottle. <laughs> I'm quite sure that Apple's sales staff has been working on deals exactly like that. And, yeah, I'm quite sure they're capable of making those happen. Do you think here that enough schools will pick this up to make a really big dent in the way text materials are handled in schools? Depends on what it's going to save the school systems. You know, let me put on my taxpayer hat for a moment here. Okay, I'm waiting for him to put on his taxpayer hat. It's kind Go of ahead, please. And, that, and you're one of the 99%. Let's be clear oh, about yes. this. So, yeah, I mean, if my county school system has been spending a whole lot of money buying new versions of paper textbooks, that then have to get crushed to pulp a couple of years later. And if they can spend less money and, you know, have something that, that stays current that maybe is more interesting to the students, who knows? I'm in favor of that. You know, let's do the thing that works best and saves money and, you know, not get hung up on what we, we need to have a, you know, I, I think students were pretty sure students of today are really not that hung up on reading things on paper versus on the screen. The other thing is here, of course, I would assume with high schools and elementary schools, the K through 12 system, they would get maybe site licenses for the textbooks. I would hope so. Yeah. I mean, that's a much more effective way to do it. Okay, so in the sense here, saving that humongous amount of printing costs, and you think it costs a lot just to print a book, what does it cost to print a 1,200-page textbook with every other page in full color? Exactly, and then you've got delivery costs. You know, there, there's warehousing costs. That It's a lot of effort that goes into it. So, you know, you do need to make sure everyone has the device they need to read it, and so that could lead to an upfront cost. Do you, do you loan the kid an iPad? Uh, and I'm sure that's there's going to be a lot of things to work out. In some school districts, it's going to be a much easier lift than others. But the long run, the logic towards going with electronic textbooks seems overwhelming to me, and it's just a question of how we get there. And with Apple first mover status here, they could gain a very large leg on the educational market before anyone else has a chance to react. In theory, yeah. There you go again. I, and I remember, the Beatles are still me. exclusive on iTunes. So in no, the sir, end... No. What is your feeling about the potential for this right now? Do you think this is going to really make a big dent? There are some school districts that are going to jump on it right away. I think there's going to be a lot of coverage of you know the, the first classroom where people are tapping away on the screens of their tablets. Uh, I think it is going to move slower than people think just because you know there, there is a lot of bureaucracy involved here. You know, School systems sign long-term contracts they can't get out of right away. You know, There's a certain amount of bureaucratic machinery that you know, you, you can't revolutionize this field as quickly as you could, say, you know, the music business. Well, the other thing that could be done here is if they have contracts with the big textbook publishers, they could possibly have a way to repurpose those. Yeah, that, that sort of gets beyond my uh, my field of view since I've, I've never covered the, uh, the, the educational industrial complex, if you will. So I don't really know how that works. 
I'm sure there, there's all sorts of fascinating legal details that um, I'm not fully conversant with. I understand. Well, I guess we're going to have to see how this works out. Certainly it's fascinating. The possibilities are fascinating. And just freeing your children from those backpacks has yes. to count Won't for Yes, someone lot. please think of the children? That's right. Just <laughs> about the children. Let's think about the Internet in our next topic of discussion. The Stop Online Piracy Act is this very controversial law that has been considered in the House of Representatives in the U.S. We're coming on the heels of this blackout where Wikipedia and other large websites on Wednesday, the 18th of January, basically blacked out or put a black page in position with a clickable link to go to the rest of the site. And all about the protest about this law. Now, already we're seeing some people in Congress some people in the Senate running away as a result. Stop Online Piracy Act. What's it about? Yeah, it is the latest, to understand, you have to sort of know the history here. It's the latest in a long series of attempts by the entertainment industry to get laws written that will solve one business problem they have, which is, you know, hey, newsflash, it's very easy to duplicate a file on the Internet than share it with everybody else online. Uh, the cost of introducing a lot of other business problems and in this case, I would also say constitutional problems. The specific case it's going after is sites based in other countries. Say, you know, the, the Russian mob decides to get into the music distribution business. And for some reason, people want to give their credit cards to the Russian mob. So people go there, they're downloading songs, either paying very little or nothing at all. And the, the musicians and songwriters who actually did the hard work get nothing out of it. What do you do with the site that's beyond the reach of U.S. jurisdiction? With the SOPA would try to do would basically be to introduce a sort of censorship. You could get a court ruling saying or a court order that uh, if you're an internet provider, you must not route people to this overseas domain name, uh, which is one thing that's very, that really upsets a lot of people who have actually worked on the DNS system, sorry, DNS and know how it works. You have serious, serious security risks, especially there's a new protocol called DNS sec, which is supposed to stop the problem of sites impersonating some other site. That was not designed to work where you have court orders saying you may not route people to this particular domain name, but let everyone else go through to all these other sites. Uh, and I am not in favor of things that jeopardize the security and stability of the Internet. Well, I think also part of the problem is here is that most people in Congress are clueless about online issues. That is sadly true. I, I saw the hearing for SOPA, and it was a, a travesty. The word show trial came to mind. They had one poor rep from Google who was basically there to be a punching bag for people who would say, well, you're Google. You can afford it. Or what's also annoying, people would say, you techies can figure this out. Well, no. You know, There's some things you can't do. You can't make a general purpose computer discern whether its user is trying to do something good or bad online. That is not how computers work. You know, It's, it's a poor tool that... Isn't there some saying in uh, science fiction that's a poor blaster that doesn't point both ways? The Internet and computers are just like that. Um, the, the only really sensible part of SOPA, but even this is done all wrong, is the idea that you go after the business underpinnings of these rogue sites where you could, you know, you would have a, the, the bill would give uh, a copyright holder a private right of action. You basically send a letter to a payment processing service or an advertising network saying, you know, this site, and this could be a domestic site too, not just overseas, they're infringing our copyright. You know, you've got five days to cut off service to them. 
But the problem is it's a private right of action. You don't need to prove your case in court. The accused site doesn't get to confront you with contrary evidence. And so that would mean that pretty much any site that hosts user-generated content, you know, YouTube, WordPress, Flickr, does your podcast site accept comments? I know my we have We have a forum, and this is one of the issues that concerns me a lot. You'll find that forum at forum.technightowl.com. Once again, that's forum.technightowl.com. And we just recently overhauled that forum, by the way. just wanted to get this out of the way. And we welcome your membership, which is free, and then you can participate in the discussions. That's how it works. And we'll get into more of this in a moment. We're talking about the various controversial provisions of SOPA, Stop Online Piracy Act, with Rob Pigarero. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours, too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. How would you like to have normal blood pressure? This is Ernesto from Illinois. I had my doctor's appointment yesterday and I got my labs in. My HDL is 119L and my LDL is 37L. My doctor asked what I was doing to lower it so much, so I told her about HB Extract. Millions of people like Ernesto are suffering from high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, unbalanced cholesterol, irregular heartbeat, and clogged arteries. But now there's an effective, natural, 100% organic nutritional supplement for a healthy heart and circulation. Heart and Body Extract. My blood pressure has not gone past 125 over 80 in almost a month. Experience amazing benefits when your body gets what it needs with the assistance of Heart and Body Extract. 
She did a double take when she looked at my ER labs. She couldn't believe it. Order at HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. Thank you. Heart and Body Extract. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. We're talking about the law of unintended consequences. Say that five times fast in reverse. About SOPA, this act that's being considered in Congress to deal with online piracy with Rob Pecorero. Now, understand the motives are certainly sensible. If you have created a musical work, a written work, a movie, you want to get paid for it. You don't want people that you didn't authorize pirating your creative efforts. I mean, if you're working in another business, maybe you don't see this because you think, oh, everybody in show business is wealthy. That's only like the top one half of 1%. Most people in the creative works are just making a living and maybe not even that. And imagine if someone took the food out of your mouth. Someone took away your paycheck. That's what it's all about. But how do you prevent this? Here's the law of unintended consequences. As Rob mentioned beforehand, you know, on his blog, he has, say, a comment section. We have forums at technightowl.com slash forum. So somebody posts a message in there and says, you know what? I read this interesting book. And that book, he sends a link to. But it's pointing to a site in Russia that has a pirated version of, say, one of Adam Inc.'s Take Control books, one of his e-books, and he has to deal with this problem. Okay, so it has a link to pirated content. Suddenly, they come after me and they put me out of business because I don't have the money to hire a team of lawyers and say, wait a minute, let's get an injunction, let's deal with this in court. No, I could be out of business before I have a time to defend myself. And that's the problem here. There's no provision here of being innocent until you're proven guilty you're guilty unless you can prove otherwise and, and this is this weird discussion where we're copyright which you know go back to the constitution it, it's a right we're allowed to make up <laughs> it exists for a larger purpose to promote the progress of sciences and the useful arts not because it's an inalienable right but SOPA would privilege copyright over free speech uh, you know i don't know how you go to congress and you take an oath to support and defend the Constitution, you can possibly vote for something like this. But apparently in this case, the Internet needed to remind these folks what we sent them to D.C. to do. All right. So the issue being here, and it's very simple, 
you don't have to be a site that traffics in pirated material, but you're caught in the crossfire unwittingly. Exactly. And, and plus, when you really start to actually read the text of SOPA as it was introduced, it, it's just horrendous. There, there's one just it's either Kafkaesque or, or willing, or perhaps both. Uh, the, the phrasing is so backwards, essentially, that if a site is not sufficiently, uh, you know, doesn't have sufficient scrutiny of what's going on to make sure that people aren't infringing anybody's copyright, then it's guilty, which is the exact reverse of the logic in the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, where if you run a site, you're not responsible for every stupid thing somebody posts on it. But if somebody sends you a complaint saying, hey, somebody posted a copy of one of Adam Banks' Take Control books, you know, then it's your job to take it down. Uh, and so, and we you know, have to know this in advance. That means anytime someone and I could be getting hundreds of messages a day. Some forums have thousands of messages, and suddenly we've got to police every message. We've got to moderate every message. We've got to check the link to this particular site, verify it's a pirated site. I mean, I'd have to have a full-time staff. Yeah, that's the best case scenario for SOPA, where you know you and I can stay in business, but we have to become full-time copyright cops on the side. And, you know, it's awfully cheeky of Hollywood to say, why don't you do this work for free for us? Well, when Hollywood lets me go to watch a 3D movie free, I'll consider it. <laughs> I have to confess, actually, you know, I'm a parent of an 18-month-old. The last time I saw a movie in a theater was for free. The MPA was kind enough to invite me to a screening at its uh, theater in D.C. Very nice little uh, movie theater they got. Okay, so you got to see a theater. It's for promotion. But yes. the, point, the point being here is that the democratization of the Internet is being impacted by this. Okay, so now we see that sponsors of this law, after being alerted to what's going on, they're kind of backing off. Let's rethink this. Let's not do the DNS controls where we could basically lock your site out of being seen by anyone. We are not going to have that. They're looking into provisions. Is that enough or should they just trash this thing and think about something better? I don't think you can fix it as it was introduced. I mean, in part because, you know, unfortunately, I hate to sound mean, but Hollywood has to lose this. They need to realize that it is a mistake. It is a career limiting move to keep coming forward with these bills that make everyone else do their work to protect their business model at the cost of a lot of other people's business models. Not to mention the First Amendment, the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America. This has to stop. So, you know... <laughs> Sorry, let's beat these two bills into the ground, and we can have a grown-up discussion about this. Now, um, one of the things to mention here, of course, is that we do have the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, but it's very ungainly. So for a small company, seeing that they've got their content being pirated, they've got to send these individual takedown notices, and it could be time-consuming. In fact, Adam Inks told me he had to send out, so far over the years, 1,000 of these notices. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, it is a problem that stuff gets duplicated. I can see this in my own blog. If I do a post, one of my clients is Discovery News, and, you know, I do a post at the end of each week summarizing where I've written. And WordPress will show you if somebody, and this, these posts will often like to post on my own blog, and WordPress will tell me if somebody's clicked through on a link elsewhere back to my blog. At least once a week, one of these links is from some random site that is just duplicated, copy and paste, the text and photos of what I did for Discovery. You know, it's a problem, but it is a business problem. Well, that's their we, problem to solve. Right. It's and a the publisher's is, problem. It's not Rob's problem. You're just a guy who writes articles, 
and you're trying to present information and basically make a living and support your family, it's not your obligation to get involved in all the minute details here. Well, I will mark those links as spam, so hopefully WordPress knows to. But anyway, the, the larger point, though, is copyright infringement, if you're going to solve it, you have to look at it as the business situation it is. There was a transaction that took place when somebody downloaded that song or that movie or that book without paying. They didn't pay with money. They paid with time, uh, you know, effort spent installing some random file-sharing app, maybe the virus they picked up when they went to that sketchy Russian site. So, you know, you know the demand is there. You need to satisfy it. I think the music industry has done it right. You know, there is no reason for you to go download a song without paying, um, you know, in, except in very rare cases. I mean, you can listen to it for free on Spotify. You can pay as little as 79 cents for it on iTunes or Amazon, maybe less at other sites that are actually legit. You know, you have a lot of options. Movies, not so much. There's a lot of people in Hollywood that seem to think, well, if we don't sell the movie online, people will just wait until it shows up on DVD or on cable. That's not how the business works. And, you know, to a lesser extent on ebooks, where you have some ebooks that cost more than on paper. But that's a business problem, and you have to solve it by being a good businessman, not going to Washington and asking for new laws that won't actually work. Well, the problem is, as always, enforcement. All you're doing here is giving the government more things to do, raising the cost of doing them. They've got to hire people to do this. They've got to have lawyers. And when you throw all this into an organization that has no background or experience in dealing with it, they're going to screw it up. The best of intentions will fall apart. So it looks, though, that it's had an impact. Do you think that Congress is going to realize finally, let's shelve it, let's rewrite this law from scratch, or just forget about it with the election, everything approaching, and consider it some other time? Uh, I think SOPA and, and PIPA, the Protect IP Act, the Senate version of it, which is slightly less appalling than the House version, uh, I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, in the Senate, you're going to have to get 60 people to vote in favor of it because Senator Wyden of Oregon has said he's going to filibuster it. Uh, and in the House, the uh, uh, the leadership there, uh, Speaker Boehner and I guess uh, Majority Leader Kander have said there's no consensus. We're not going to let this proceed either. You could try again, but yeah, it's an election year. There are a lot of other things Congress is too busy not getting things done on to to have this to, to not get this. something done on. Hey, Rob Pegarero, tell us where we can find more of your stuff. A few different places. I write for Discovery News. That's news.discovery.com. I do a weekly post for the Consumer Electronics Association. They run a little trade show called CES, you might have heard. Sort of. Blog.ce.org. And I do a weekly Q&A tip of the week column for usatoday.com. And, of course, you can find us, news at technightowl.com, if you want to drop us a letter. Otherwise, go to technightowl.com to check all the things we've done, and we've got a somewhat updated site for you to check out. We also are Tech Night Owl at Twitter. Check out our other show, The Paracast, at paracast.com for things that go bump in the night, UFOs, all the strange stuff. Paracast.com. Special thanks to my friend Rob Pegarero. Thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thanks. The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.